WAPG Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy, episode 286. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door. I'm Captain Jeff, your host, broadcasting live from the Studio 1A in the APG Headquarters building in Roswell, Georgia. In today's episode, Bent Metal, another passenger trying to open a door in flight, duh, and the flight of a lifetime, your feedback, and the latest Plane Tales installment, Eating the Sun. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seat backs in their upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. Flight 286 is ready for pushback. Hello and welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast and I am a captain for a major U.S. legacy carrier. And joining me, normally he is... uh, from across the pond. Actually, I should start with the ladies first. She is joining us from the Carolinas. Let's play her intro music there. There we go. Doctor. She is a doctor, doctor. of physiatry. Doctor. 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 And doctor. a skydiver. Doctor. Doctor. A marathon runner. Apparently, uh, honorary world Miss World 2017 winner and commercial multi-engine instrument rated pilot, Dr. Stephanie Plummer. Yeah, just the important stuff is at the end there. That's yes, I saved it the best for last. Starting with Miss World 2017. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Should I do that one last? <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, no, no. Leaves the best Honorary impression. Title. Okay. Title. Honorary. There we go. Well, hello. Hello. Good that you're here. With you for 286. And sorry for my poor audio quality in advance to everyone who's listening to this. So not Uh, in my usual setup. Um, We'll make it work, though. Yeah, it's going to work. We'll make it work. All right. Now, as I was saying just a few minutes ago, joining us normally from across the pond. But this time he is on layover in New York City, actually Long Island. He is a former RAF fighter pilot. He's a professional photographer. He's an all-around great guy. Currently, wide-body Airbus captain for a European airline, Captain Nick. Hi, Jeff, and uh, hi there over there, Steph, with your horrible audio. Don't worry, darling, you sound fine to me. Um, brilliant to be back on the show. <laughs> Thanks very much, Jeff. And uh, yeah, I'm out here in uh, Long Island, looking out at the uh, lovely weather. It was uh, pretty foul last night. Perhaps more of that later. A lovely view from Grandma's house here, uh, looking out at a very pretty uh, church spire and uh, the trees and uh, lovely skies. So uh, yeah, it's a great spot for uh, spending a few hours uh, doing a podcast. Absolutely. As always, appreciate you taking the time and your layover to do this and Steph taking time out from your workday to uh, join us as well. It's uh, always a treat. Um, anyway, grandma's oh, house. Over. I don't know if they would let me take time off of work. To oh, it's all over then. It'd be nice if they did. but It would be nice. We should start writing letters. 
And they're going to say, what is this they're talking about? <laughs> please excuse Dr. Steph from work today. Yes, every week for three hours, please. And firstly, I can't think of a better use for my layover than sit and chat to you guys. Oh, thank you. That's so sweet. That was not the sound effect I meant to play. So I have all these buttons in front of me. <laughs> and they're very, very tiny. And uh, my fingers are, well, they're not that big. But apparently I'm not very good at aiming my fingers. Brilliant. That was the one I meant to play. <laughs> okay, let's get on with it. Uh, so, uh, Captain Nick, you uh, yes, were with us on the last show. Not the very last, neither you nor Captain, excuse me, um, <laughs> Dr. Steph were with me when I recorded uh, the last uh, show that's on the feed, which was uh, day before, what was it, yesterday? Yeah, it was yesterday it morning. Was yesterday. Wow, I actually got one published in the same day. That is pretty amazing. It wasn't a three-hour show, though. Um, and uh, that was at the uh, Lake Kiwi Lake House in South Carolina. And uh, with me was uh, Pilot Pip and Dispatcher Mike. And the three of us recorded a, a special Eclipse uh, episode of the Airline Pilot Guy show. So check that out if uh, you haven't already. Um, now, Steph was there as well uh, as um, Matt, uh, BF, and his wonderful family, and they had to leave. Uh, I think both Steph and Matt Bunting Frame and family had to leave on what, what day was that? Uh, Monday? Monday. That yeah. was Monday. Two After, days ago. Yeah, after the uh, after the eclipse. So uh, we're going to be talking a lot about the eclipse on, on the show, and hopefully that won't uh, upset uh, too many of you who weren't able to actually view it uh, as we were able to view it. But uh, it was it was quite an event. And, you know, it was nice seeing the sun, you know, disappear behind the moon. But uh, the best part of it actually was just the, uh, the hanging out with the APG people. Well, that's the bit that made me jealous, quite honestly. Listening to you guys on the podcast and crowing about what a wonderful time you'd had. And then I was getting lots of, uh, you know, Twitter stuff and everyone's having a ball. And there I am just sitting at home doing simulators. It was all, we were all um, just making all that up. We had a miserable time. <laughs> yeah, it was really pretty terrible. Yeah, the water was really warm. You were floating out on the lake drinking beer. It was horrible. It was bad uh, beer. The lake water was not the perfect temperature. Um, just uh, being with those people, yeah. just I couldn't get wait to get out of there. <laughs> oh, save me. Save me from all this, please. <laughs> it's all an act. <laughs> yeah, you guys had obviously had a wonderful time. I don't, I've heard uh, Captain Jeff sound quite so relaxed for a very long time. So it was obviously brilliant. And I'm very jealous. Well, that's it was very, very nice. That's why we did it. <laughs> <laughs> no. The picture of everyone posed up there. Um, yeah. Steph, you're looking amazingly suntanned in that picture. Oh, well, I spent a lot of time outside. There that you was go. not one day, one day worth of suntan. I don't I don't know why she bothered to even put suntan lotion on or what do you call that stuff? Sun Not cream? suntan, let sun cream. Yeah. She's a responsible adult, of course. Yeah, but I mean, I she's. Did put one... on. I put it on one time. Mm -hmm. SPF fifteen. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, no, no burn. I'm good. 
Yeah. So we had a grand time. We really did. And uh, take a listen to 285.5. Um, the uh, We did a little bit of feedback on that one as well. Not not a whole lot, but uh, we knocked out some. And uh, so it was fun uh, broadcasting with Pip and Mike. And uh, of course, they have, uh, they have their own great uh, aviation podcasts as well. So, um, so uh, Captain Nick, were you able to uh, catch the, well, I guess you didn't see the eclipse over there in, uh, in the UK was like that you didn't have any kind of an eclipse at all, right? No, they bored us to death with it on the news, though. Yeah. I mean, uh, the BBC felt obliged to send dozens of reporters. Uh, remember, the BBC is actually paid for by the people of the United Kingdom. It's like uh, your public broadcasting system, except we all pay in the region of, I guess it would be around 100 bucks, 120 bucks a year for the privilege uh, of having uh, free television from the British Broadcasting Company. So I feel personally a bit aggrieved when they dispatch a whole bunch of uh, reporters, go and uh, stand in totality and blather about uh, how wonderful it is while the rest of us are sitting there in the UK going, I don't want to hear that. <laughs> it sounds like much too much fun. Yeah, it was it was something that's for sure. And the next one is in 2019, and it's not going to be anywhere near North America or the UK. It's going to be what nope. in South America, I South guess. South America. Yeah, I think Steph is already making plans for South going. America. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, after the eclipse was over, I was talking to one of my brothers who got to watch the total eclipse as well up in Idaho, and he was already making plans. So if he's in, I'm in. We'll go find. And no, Liz, Liz, you probably already know the answer to this. I forgot to give Steph the IPAs that John Brown had given me to give to her. Um, they're they're still sitting right over there across the room in the studio down here, right Liz, where are they. Drank them. Huh? He's pointing over in that general direction, but yeah, yeah. and I, I'm looking at him. I, I can he, oh, here. I can even turn the camera over, and you can see yeah, for yourself. Like Wait, let me talk so the camera's on. I don't know. Can you see them over there next to the uh, heat press? Nothing there. Yes, it is. They're over there. (laughs) Gosh darn it. No, I forgot. In fact, I looked looked at the, um, I looked at them before I left and I was looking at all the things. You can see it looks like a bomb went off in here. And I'm thinking, okay, don't forget those. I forgot those. Sorry. That's okay. Yeah. Anyway, uh, we had a grand time. And uh, what else was I going to say? Um, anything else? Oh, up here uh, in the camera, you might be able to see. Uh, did I already talk about that? The lifeguard thing? I think I did. Yeah. No, that was uh, before, we, oh, was that before we started. Okay. Um, yep. Matthew Bunting Frame and uh, Nicola and uh, Evie and Charlie, the two young, uh, cute little girls. Um they uh, came over. He's been spending some time in the in the states, and was able to join us for uh, Sunday night and uh, up to the eclipse, and then a little bit after, and then they had to leave because they had to fly back the next day, which was yesterday, back to uh, Australia. And uh, but he brought that nice um, a nice gift for me, a lifeguard. Um, what do you call that? A windbreaker, heavy windbreaker, yeah. more than a windbreaker. It's like a jacket. The coat. Uh, the coat. Jacket. Yeah. Uh, very, very nice. Oh, and uh, what do you call that thing that you wear on your head there? I think they, you know, he called that a dicky. Oh, no, it's a family show. Really? Oh, oh, I didn't I didn't get one of those. Oh, no, you didn't. It's like a bathing cap of some kind. Yeah. I think it, I call it a cap, a swim cap. Okay. 
Yeah, I got one of these. And it even has, you know, there. It doesn't work when you put it over your uh, headphones. <laughs> there we go. How's it look? Pretty good? Looks like Excellent. a good target. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thank you very much, Matt, for that. Uh, it was so nice meeting you and uh, interviewed him. And unfortunately, he wasn't there uh, as uh, Steph wasn't uh, as well. But uh, he wasn't there for the actual show that we recorded yesterday morning. So I did record something on the H5 before he left. And uh, that is included in the uh, in the program that we uh, or that I put out uh, yesterday. So check it out enough of that uh anything else we want to talk about regarding the eclipse before we move on no nope. we're going to talk about more so. <laughs> we will talk more about the eclipse during the show but uh that's enough for our own little you know kind of get together hey someone's not upset at all about it i know sorry <laughs> i think it, it, it was a great opportunity for you guys to get together and i'm just so sad i missed out on it well we're sad that you couldn't make it um let's see now can you are you going to be here on uh let's see today is wednesday thursday friday so in three days are you going to be here captain nick uh no well shoot you're going to miss out on this as well <laughs> <laughs> in uh very well. no you're not in atlanta this saturday um this is being organized by Stephen ivy uh mr mooney driver uh, he uh, is uh, getting a group of us together over at the Scofflaw Brewery uh, inside the perimeter in Atlanta. Uh, again, that's Scofflaw, scofflawbeer.com, and uh, check it out and so you can find out where it is. If you're in the Atlanta area and you're listening to my voice at this moment, um, please make sure that you join us on Saturday at 2 o'clock for a meetup. And then after that, after we do the, um, the tour of the brewery, then we're going to go somewhere probably close by for dinner. So, uh, information about that will be found on Slack and the meetups channel and, uh, Twitter and Facebook. So we'll put some information there as well for you to join us on Saturday if you happen to be around. So, uh, thank you, Stephen, for, for coming up with that, uh, that meetup organization. Um, Nev is still looking for people to join him while he's here in the States on September 12th and 13th. He's going to be at Dulles, uh, international airport or the Fairfax, Virginia area. And, uh, so he's putting that out there for anybody in the community that might want to join up with him. Funny, I think I'm going to be in uh, New York on the 13th, but, uh, so we're not going to be far away, but no. I'm just going to be a little too far north. Yeah. Probably a little bit too far for you to venture away from New York. Yeah, I'm afraid so. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's see. What else has been going on, uh, Captain Nick? Anything going on in your life since the last show? Uh, well, yeah. Uh, my, I had an accident. So. Uh, oh, well, was, an accident? Oh, my God. Are you okay? Well, no, actually. Uh oh. What happened? I think he's okay, but the rest of us are a little bit. Uh, <laughs> what? What are you talking about? Um, well, to be fair, I uh, I was taking a look at my beard. Now, I, I've had it for uh, well over 20 years since I left the Air Force. And um, it was starting to look a bit scruffy, I thought, a bit ragged. So I decided to get rid of it and grow a new one. So uh, that's what I've done. Uh, in reality, I was trimming uh, using you know, a little razor with one of those little guards on it that cuts at the right depth. Yeah. Uh, a few... Uh, stray hairs and I 
forgot. I took the, the guard off by accident, thinking it was just a protector on the end of the razor. And I attacked this these few hairs. The next minute, I looked up and went, oh, my God. <laughs> Did you draw blood? <laughs> yeah, the side of my face was naked. So uh, I went, oh, hell. So first thing I was uh, shave it into a little goatee. And I thought, nah, that does not suit you, Nick. <laughs> it really looks awful. So I shaved the entire thing off, and uh, I'm now in the process of regrowing it. It's 48 hours old, and it's already starting to look reasonable, although you won't be able to tell on the camera, and certainly not on the podcast. <laughs> Don't worry, in a couple of weeks, you won't have noticed. Well, so I think was, you, um, you have a beautiful face. <laughs> yeah, it's oh, just no, it's my boots uh, think I've got a beautiful face, too, because they think now you're as pretty as we are. <laughs> um, so the second thing was uh, just simulators. It was just that time of the year for going and doing uh, line-orientated flying training. And uh, that, was, that was pretty standard. Uh, it was my first time with a uh, first officer trainer. I'm not going to make any comment about that. It was all very professionally done. Um, some interesting profiles. Did a lot of uh, uh, stuff that you would do during winter operations on an imaginary departure, funnily enough, out of Dallas uh, with um, you know heavy snow falling and all the de-icing required, working out uh, our holdover times, um, briefing and doing all the cold weather procedures, keeping the flaps up till you get to the end of the runway, you know, all the taxi procedures when it's very uh, slippery, um, doing uh, ice shedding procedures, uh, obviously doing performance calculations for a contaminated runway. And we've got new performance calculating software on our iPad. So uh, that was all kind of good to run through all that. And then off into uh, an imaginary flight where we got a series of emergencies that uh, necessitated returning. Uh, so uh, that was all kind of good. But the one thing I was going to mention um, was this the first time uh, I've ever had intervention training. Now, we laugh about Dana, who's uh, Theory is that if uh, anyone tries to kill him, he's just going to uh, take a baseball bat to the captain and uh, beat him uh, unconscious, and then he'll take control of the airplane. Uh, ours's intervention training is just a little more sophisticated than that. But it first time I've actually been trained uh, to recognise a situation where the other pilot might not be um, uh, doing his job uh, well enough to keep the aircraft safe uh, and then judging the right moment to step in and take control. Uh, and as I said this before, our first officers are usually extremely experienced. Um, but I think with the introduction of pilots into our company, uh, into Acme Red, who, who aren't, who are the other end of that scale, I think the company is preparing itself for the, the moment when uh, you, uh, the captains might actually need to step in occasionally because 23 years of flying, I've never had to take control from uh, my first officer. Um, so, uh, that, you know, that, that's been quite interesting. And of course, the uh, first officer had a go as well. Uh, uh, the trainer took my seat and uh, then pretended to be a bullshit captain who was trying to kind of try and press on and land when really he ought to have gone round. So that was that was so fascinating. Um, and other than that, I've just come out here on uh, on 
you know, JFK and we were racing the thunderstorms to uh, New York last night. So uh, as we were coming in, we were looking at some real big bangers hovering around uh, near the New York area. And uh, it was very hard to tell whether they were actually going to be over the airfield before us or after us. But as it was, we uh, managed to sneak in just ahead of them. But all the time we were taxiing, the sky was lit up. It was uh, quite impressive. Yeah, I, I heard about that. I'm glad you made it in. Didn't have to divert somewhere. Yeah, I was kind of thinking about it. Unfortunately, both our diversions, Newark and uh, Stuart Field, were like the other side of these thunderstorms. So, <laughs> thinking, oh, yeah. I love how they do that. <laughs> Here's your divert location. And it's, yeah, you have to somehow make it through the severe weather <laughs> to get there. <laughs> no. Exactly. no. So that wasn't ideal. Uh, but luckily, we were carrying a reasonable amount of fuel. So I, mm-hmm. I said to my first officer, so if we have a problem, we'll just go back to Boston. So that's the best idea. Now, do you have dispatchers that do that kind of planning for you, or do you actually uh, file the flight plan and, and designate alternates on your own? No, but it's not a dispatcher that does it. There are a series, series of different departments that mm-hmm. take the role of the of the dispatchers on ACME. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, we have an operations department, but very small that sort of keep an eye on ongoing things. We've got a flight planning department that do the filing. We've got a, a turnaround coordinator who does uh, the leading and organization of load sheets, that sort of thing. So all those duties seem to be split up, whereas I think you'll sit to miss you've got one expert, one really good guy who does it all. Mm-hmm. And, you know, usually do a very good job. Occasionally, you'll, they'll we'll have things like what you just mentioned, where the uh, the alternate airport is on the other side of the weather and uh you know if you if it's really looking like you're going to have to divert uh, or there's a good potential for it then you start looking realistically at which is the best airport to go to on the other side or this side of the weather you know so you don't have to go through it pick it pick your own yeah alternate yeah, yeah, exactly right. I mean, you're not obliged to use the one on the paperwork. It's just right. it's uh, for, that's often the, the ones that you're fueling. Right, right. Yeah. So if there are exactly. alternates, yeah. Absolutely. All right. Uh, Steph, anything uh, happened with you other than the little uh, uh, few days over at the lake? Yeah, I mean, there was that small event. Um, trying to think if there was anything else exciting that happened. Um. Oh, I did do some flying on Saturday morning, I think. Was that this past week? Yeah. I can't even remember now. I think so. Yeah. But I think I... Can you guys hear me still? Mm-hmm. Yes. We can hear you. Can you? <laughs> yeah. Okay, good. Because all of a sudden you both froze. So. No, okay. we're still here. Just making sure. <laughs> seemed like I was talking to myself. Um, sorry about that. Yeah. Again, internet quality here, not optimal. So, um yeah, I did a little bit of flying on Saturday morning, just going out and shooting some approaches to maintain my instrument currency. And I did that in the Cirrus. So I think I got four approaches in and I'll do a couple more in another week. Or that was good. Excellent. Yeah. On the uh, last show, we were talking about uh, someone had written in uh, a question about currency. I think it was Trevor in Colorado uh, about maintaining our currency and flying certain approaches and logging them and that kind of thing. And I thought, well, we never... The only thing we ever do is just three takeoffs and three landings every 90 days. And I guess because the Part 121 rules for currency are different than the Part 91 rules. And uh, and there she goes. She is gone. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, she's uh, definitely having uh, Internet 
issues, which is not unusual. Oh, uh, poor Steph. Yeah, but I'm sure she'll be back. Okay, so with that, um, since she's uh, she's not with us right now, you know what I'd like to do? I had mentioned this uh, a few shows ago. You know, Captain, not Captain, um, Doctor John Brown uh, flew from Toronto to Columbus for the meetup, and he gave me the. Well, actually, he didn't give me the beer that I was supposed to give Steph until I saw him again in Oshkosh. Uh, just a, a short while after the meetup in Columbus, uh, saw Dr. John Brown there, and that's when he gave me the beer that I was supposed to give to Steph. Anyway, he also gave me, and I mentioned this a couple of shows ago, uh, this the CD, uh, Jazz It Up. And uh, he said, yeah, this is my wife singing. And, uh, and I said, well, this guy on the keyboards in this picture looks like you, a younger you. And he goes, well, that is me. And so I, and I said, I'm going to try to play some of this for you. And he gave me permission. They're not going to, they're not going to uh, put the uh, law on me and, and throw me in jail for playing this on the show. So I want you to hear some of this absolutely amazing jazz. It's just really, really good. So here we go. This is called That Old Devil Moon. Brenda Scott. Hear that piano in the background? That's Dr. John. Isn't that awesome? Is there any doubt for any of you that Dr. John can't play the Java Jive and perhaps even sing to it? <laughs> that would be great. I'd love to hear him do that. Yeah. All right. Uh, enough of that. But uh, I've been listening to that CD almost nonstop since he gave it to me. So thanks again, John, for that. Uh, your wife is a very talented, talented singer. And you are a very, very talented keyboard player. Pianist. All right. Uh, with that, then, I think we can move on to, speaking of the Java Java, let's do it. I love coffee, I love tea, I love the Java Java and it loves me. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. All right. While they sing in the background, let us talk about the Coffee Fund, which is the way you can support the show financially. It's called the Coffee Fund Cadre. You can learn about that by heading over to AirlinePilotGuy.com slash coffee. And there you'll see two different ways to participate in the Coffee Fund. And that is the uh, the classic method, we call it, uh, via PayPal. And since last week's episode, Chris Randall, uh, we received his recurring payment uh, via PayPal. And the other way to do it is to become a patron of the show via Patreon and we have a new producer. We have Sean Hempel, uh, a new patron at patreon.com. Thank you very much for your patronage. And thank you, Chris, for your contribution. It is much appreciated. So uh, check it out again if you want to participate by heading over to airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee. Cabbage and pea. Oops, greens. Mm-hmm. 
wish I had the words. Okay, that's enough of that. I'm gonna slowly fade this out. There it goes. And now it is time for the news. Stand by for news. Okay, uh, let's start with uh, this one. There was a little episode at JFK. Uh, Captain Nick was just talking about that airport in, in which he flew in from Heathrow. Uh, this happened um, about a week and a half ago, I believe. Uh, let me see the article from Bloomberg. Uh, let's see, two or three Delta Airlines, actually just two. Uh, Delta Airlines planes were involved in three wingtip collisions in separate accidents over two days on the ground at New York's John F. Kennedy Airport. Actually, to be fair, one of those incidents involved one of the uh, connecting carriers that we use or they use. <laughs> Um, uh, whoops. Uh, let's see. The National Transportation Safety Board said Thursday that it's investigating the incidents and indicating that they be they may be more serious than usual or there may be a pattern. Uh, uh, low speed collisions sometimes occur between planes and other aircraft or vehicles on the tarmac and taxiways and usually don't cause significant damage or injuries. The first mishap occurred at 712 p.m. on August 15th. When a Boeing 737 operated by Delta and an American Airlines group, Boeing 757, each were taxiing out for departure, the Delta plane's left wing touched the American jet's tail. No one was injured, according to the FAA. Have a little bit of uh, audio on that if you want to listen to it. It's kind of interesting if you're wondering what it's like in the cockpits of airplanes when they actually bump another airplane. And let's uh, go with that here. 523, continue Charlie, then Echo, monitors Delta 2503, we're going to have the trucks come out just to inspect the area and the aircraft. Okay. 
2503, you can pack into your own tower once I get you going, correct? Hey, for Delta 2503. And American 290, you're also able to pack into your own tower? That's affirmative for American 290. Okay, I just have the port over there to like just inspect the area, and then I will get back to you once I can move you both. Uh, I, I'm assuming you guys are just going to pack you back, affirm. That's correct. Unless you see any side of the Delta 25, that's our plan. Unless you see any leaks or anything like that. Nah, it's your, uh, your wing was. For American 290, we're just wondering what the uh, cone looks like at the back. Uh, you got a decent sized chunk off the, uh, the right side rear uh, stabilizer. Yeah. I cut a lot of that out. Uh, there were some other uh, communications going on there that wasn't really um, pertinent to the incident. But, uh, yeah, that uh, happens when you don't maintain proper clearance on your wingtips. And, you know, and since they've introduced the uh, winglet uh, on the end of wings, uh, I think that collisions, taxi collisions, have really gone up pretty dramatically because in the past, you know, we didn't have these huge six to ten foot or maybe even taller pieces of the wing sticking upwards and uh, i think we, we probably got away with a lot of um near hits uh, in the past but now uh, you, you can't get away with it anymore because uh, the, there's a lot of wing out there that uh, sticking upward into the into the air so uh and uh, the virgin uh, atlantic airplane uh, was there to witness the whole thing and mentioned that there was a pretty good chunk of the right uh, uh, stabilizer, the right tail of the of the uh, 757. There were some pictures uh, also included in this article. And uh, yeah, a very, very large chunk of the uh, 757 tail was missing. So, uh, oops, that's not a good thing. Yeah. You know, just as I was listening to it, though, it's not like, you know, you have a fender bender or something in your car. You don't just get out and go assess the damage and talk to the other driver and you know there's a lot that goes into it in this case because it's not your own personal vehicle and there's other you know debris on the field to consider for other aircraft and yeah kind of ties things up for a while huh i think so yeah and uh interestingly i think that the first thing that the ground controller i think wanted to do was get them out of the way and back to their ramps and then they could take care of the damage and that kind of thing but then i i think somebody said uh wait a minute hang on uh we need to get somebody out there to probably take pictures and assess the damage and all that kind of stuff so uh that caused a little bit of a delay for a bunch of departing flights there that that evening and then of course you know the you could tell that the pilots were concerned about you know do you see anything leaking uh, from the airplane because that could be a, a major safety uh, issue uh, with sure. all those passengers on board. So, Jeff, did you uh, come exactly where uh, on the airport they were? Yeah, so they uh, were they they taxied across one three I mean three one right or one three left uh, on the way out to uh, they were heading to two two right for departure, and so uh, in that northern portion of the airport there where the one three. Um, one three left and two two right come together uh, is like a a bunch of taxiways and angles and and parallel taxiways and everything else and I think the ground controller was just trying to squeeze more airplanes in that space that's why he asked the Delta flight to continue straight ahead and then make a ninety degree turn onto the next taxiway and they had the American flight uh, kind of that on that angle that diagonal uh, taxiway and I think when the um, when the Delta flight was was passing the American flight. He 
I, I guess he assumed he had adequate clearance on the tail of that 757, but uh, obviously not. Well, I guess in, in smaller aircraft, you kind of feel like you can probably help out the controller and get through those tight gaps. But one of the advantages of piloting a pretty massive machine is that we never, we never even try to get through uh, a gap we're not absolutely convinced of. So, uh, you know, I expect uh, people just trying to help uh, the controller out or just trying to get into position to get a, a fast departure. But, I mean, I would normally never go behind another aircraft unless I was absolutely convinced that there was a vast amount of space. So, yeah, it's just a shame because uh, I, I can't recall uh, other than when one of our aircraft was on pushback uh, out of JFK, when the tug driver managed to reverse them into a blast wall, I can't think of a time when we've ever had a a ground collision of any kind. Well, I hope that uh, you never do. It's not a yeah, likewise, not yeah. a good thing. I think that's one of those things where you probably have to make a visit to the chief pilot's office. But yeah, I absolutely. A lot of yeah. paperwork. Yeah, a lot of paperwork. Yeah, there's, there's there's very little excuse for it, unfortunately. Yeah, mm-hmm. you just sometimes you know you you. you kind of uh take as you said take some chances and make assumptions and and it's never good to do uh because you probably get away with it uh most of the time but occasionally you don't so you just got to be really really careful about those big long things that are sticking out the sides of a, of your airplane in fact that just reminds me one of the i don't really have a lot of nightmares but if i ever do have a dream that is a little troubling it usually involves uh me in an airplane uh taxiing on the ground not flying and uh, strangely, it, it involves usually in a setting like in a city, uh, taxiing around an airplane in the city. I don't know why. <laughs> but uh, and usually I'm, safe to like. <laughs> and I'm usually hitting a lot of things with the wings. <laughs> so I don't I hope that doesn't come to uh, bite me in the future. But uh Anyway, uh, Tony in the chat room was asking if this was something that occurred at night, and not really. It was 7.12 p.m., and this time of year, August 15th, 7.12 is still plenty of daylight. So um, it was uh, it was not dark. So I don't believe it's dark up there in New York at 7.15 this time of year, is it, Nick? I don't think uh, so. You didn't come in until late last night, so it was definitely dark when you came in. Well, yeah, I was uh, you know, about 11 o'clock at night. Yeah. Anyway, and the last uh, paragraph of this art- paragraph of this article uh, talks about um, an airplane very similar to the one I fly, uh, the uh, MD-88, uh, touched a flatbed truck as it was turning into a ramp area while the FAA reported no injuries. Joseph Pentangelo, a spokesman for the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey, said the air driver of the aircraft tug vehicle was treated at a hospital and released. Now, I'm, I'm kind of scratching my head on this one. So it says a flatbed truck, and then it says an aircraft tug vehicle. And to me, those are two different kind of vehicles. So I'm not sure exactly what happened there, if it was under tow or was under its own power or what happened. But um, yeah, they're mixing their vehicles there. Yeah. Somehow. Unless there's a flatbed tug out there that I haven't seen. Maybe there is. I don't know. Anyway, be careful out there. That's the uh, the bottom line. Uh, if, if you're not sure that you have clearance, then just stop and wait for somebody to come out and, and uh, you know, let you know, wing walkers or whatever, or just, uh, you know, wait for, and I could see what was happening there. You know, the 757, the, the ground controller was definitely trying to get traffic moving and uh, the 
the Delta flight was just trying to do a good job and be helpful. And unfortunately, he ended up causing a, a major issue, a major problem for a couple different flights. So be careful out there, everybody. Yeah, particularly in JFK, which is an airport that is actually renowned for having some very tight uh, access points. And some of the vehicle drivers there, that last one is quite apt because, I don't know, they're all a bunch of hooligans out there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, let's see. Here's another one. Uh, another incident of a passenger getting up, trying to open a door in flight. This one from American Airlines. Uh, this is from airlive.net. Uh, passengers aboard an American Airlines flight were left shaken after, they say, a man tried opening the exit door during a flight. Several people on the flight Saturday from Los Angeles to Minneapolis, St. Paul, told CBS News that a man wearing sunglasses tried to grab. I don't know why wearing sunglasses was included here, but he was wearing sunglasses. So there's your first clue. There's, there's something bad about this guy. Uh, tried to grab the handle of the plane's exit door a few minutes after the pilot announced that they were descending. So. To me, that means that they were basically at cruise altitude or just a little bit below it. Uh, quote, there was a lot of yelling and screaming. I thought perhaps two of the passengers had gotten into a, maybe a fist flight, a fight. I'm sorry, fist fight. Witness Richard Munasi said uh, another witness on the flight told uh, the news outlet that passengers subdued the man until flight attendants stepped in to help. So and if you look at this article, uh, you know, a link to it in the show notes, there's a little bit of a, a video that somebody took with their with their camera, most likely. And uh, you can see the cops once they reached uh, the gate uh, coming on to take the sunglass wearing passenger. He was wearing sunglasses in this video as well uh, off the airplane. So, you know, when are they going to learn? Never trust a person in sunglasses. I know. <laughs> moral of this story yeah that's the moral to that story and uh, again you know you can try as hard as you want you're not going to be able to open that door unless they unless they yeah, have probably didn't try just yeah in case. that's true that's true and uh finally uh in the news folder here uh, well first of all greg um wrote in uh for, with some feedback and he said uh, hello captain jeff nick rick and doc steph i have a quick question for our airliner guys with the solar eclipse coming here, how dangerous is it for the eyes? What is being done for the pilots and I guess the passengers during the eclipse? I'm pretty sure the management doesn't care enough and logistically it would be near impossible to have no one in the air at the time. Yeah, that's impossible. Yet flying sunglasses aren't good enough, but you can't put on those special viewing lenses and still fly. Thank you. This is from Greg Spood Spewed in uh, Maple Lake, Minnesota. And uh, we did have a little blurb in one of our operations bulletins at Acme saying, finally, as you have no doubt heard, a solar eclipse will occur on August 21st, traveling on a path from Oregon to South Carolina. For those of you flying next Monday in the areas where the eclipse path will be most visible, please advise your passengers to use caution when looking at the sun, even though a direct view from the cabin is unlikely. So that transitions to this nice little article that I just found this morning. And uh, this is from fastcompany.com. Lucky passengers on one transcontinental flight got to experience totality from miles above the ground. Here they described their experience. And uh, this was a, a Delta flight, flight 2466, leaving uh, Portland for Atlanta. And they knew that they were going to be uh, traveling along the path of the eclipse 
and uh, that they were at some point during the flight that they were going to be in the area where they were going to have the totality of the eclipse. And uh, let me read a little bit of this article. And this is, and of course, Delta is not the only airline that had these kind of special flights. Although this one was not specifically earmarked just to watch the eclipse. I think Alaska didn't they have one that was specifically set up just to go and look at the eclipse? Perhaps some other airlines did as well. But uh, yeah, I think I think it was Alaska had a special flight for that. I think I remember reading something about that. Yeah, uh, that's right. This one. Um, Let's see. Uh, let's see. Um, a redditor, a Reddit, uh, is a is a site, um, a website on the net where, kind of like a huge uh, forum, uh, chat room, whatever, had already caught wind of this potentially spectacular flight, Delta Flight twenty four sixty six, which is how Williams learned of it, and Williams, Anna Ruth Williams, and Cooper Petway found each other in the Delta Sky Club in Portland, awaiting a once in a lifetime experience. They were going to fly with the eclipse. Anyway, um, this is normally a routine transcontinental flight, but today would be different. The plane happened to be traveling through the path of totality. The paths of the sun and the moon were going to intersect in such a way that one would blot out the other for a course that bisected the continental United States, an event last seen in 1918. Williams, I guess in that area, uh, Williams was uh, in Portland for business. Petway for pleasure. Both were booked on the same Atlanta-bound flight. The two, along with dozens of other passengers, were going to have front row seats for a celestial light show. When they got to the airport, other passengers were abuzz, unsure of what would happen. Some travelers were normal commuters who had just happened to have booked a special treat. Others reserved this flight specifically for the view. One man timed the end of his Alaska vacation intentionally to catch this flight. Petway counts himself in the in that uh, bucket, he was less than 1,000 miles away from his millionth mile traveled on Delta and thought a nice way to ring in the event would be to travel through darkness for a minute or two. While boarding, people wondered about what exactly would happen. What would the passengers see? Would the plane be actually to uh, be able to actually show the eclipse sun? Which side would be a good side to sit on? Flight attendants, too, were excited. Some took days off to work this specific journey. Then the travelers sat and waited, no word yet from the captain about what was in store. Finally, about 20 minutes in, the captain spoke, given a countdown for the event. The plane, which departed at 8.35 a.m., would hit totality at around 10.10. After a half an hour in the air, the plane caught up with the eclipse. The sky began to slowly darken. It started getting like dusk. Still, no one in the plane really knew which side to sit on to get the best view. The problem was that the plane was heading directly toward the sun. Now, I'd like to stop here for a moment and say that unless they're in a rocket, they are not heading directly toward the sun. They're going straight up. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I don't and I'm pretty sure that the captain did not say that they were heading directly for the sun. I would imagine he said the sun is going to be directly above us. The, yeah, we're uh, traveling in a parallel path to the sun right now, such that you cannot see it on one side or the other. Yeah. But hang on tight because it's going to get hot. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that was so funny when I read that, that, that they were heading directly toward the sun. Huh? <laughs> so while the travelers would get a view of the darkness, they wouldn't necessarily see the eclipse in action. The captain had an idea, but he needed to get approval first. Once we approach totality, the captain said over the loudspeaker, we'll ask air traffic control if we can do some maneuvering. 
that's when they're going to go straight up and down, right? Um, let's see. Uh, he added, as any concerned captain ought to, uh, a warning. I do caution you all again, you won't be able to look directly at the sun. Well, you will be, but you shouldn't, I guess, is what he probably said. The pilot kept saying that we were heading right into the sun. <laughs> Another passenger says, describing the flight to me, the hope was that when the right when the plane was in complete totality, the captain would move it just a bit so the passengers, passengers could get a glimpse of the sun. The captain, however, wasn't sure he would get the go-ahead. The skies were filled with other planes, and it could prove unsafe to move out of the flight path. The passengers waited to see what would happen. And uh, you guys are probably viewing a little bit of the flight-aware track of the flight. And right over between, what is that, uh, Nebraska? Wyoming and Nebraska. Wyoming and Nebraska border. Uh, there's like a little doop, a little uh, bit of a right turn and then a left turn. Uh, where obviously the uh, captain was able to bank up the or the, whoever the pilot flying was able to bank up the airplane and give the passengers a view of the eclipse. And there's some pictures in here from the passengers of you know what they saw. And uh, so anyway, it was kind of a cool thing. I, it would have been exciting to be on an airplane like that and and be able to see the total uh, totality of the eclipse on an airplane. But, uh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, people pay a lot of money for that to get it on a regular trip is a real bonus. Yeah. So I thought it was just worth worth mentioning. Um, and, you know, because a, a lot of the theme of the show is uh, talking about the eclipse. I have a feeling we're going to hear more about um, eclipses in the in the future. And so stay tuned for uh, this uh, in week's installment of Plain Tales. Uh, just going back to um, uh, Greg's um their message here. Mm -hmm. He says, pretty, what's been done for pilots? Um, of course, uh, when we are flying across the Atlantic or anytime you're flying at dawn or a flight, um, you're probably, at some point, you're probably going to have the sun directly in front of you just spitting you in the eye uh, through As the you're windshield. Flying directly into the sun. Exactly, and it's a full brightness. Then I mean, there's no there's no moon to get in the way and and dim it slightly, uh, and we have to fight that um, uh, that problem all the time. Uh, so uh, we actually have some pretty uh, uh, impressive um, sun shields that come down. Uh, now I don't know about your aircraft, Jeff. Mine uh, are just a very deep orange. And um, you, you can, when you pull them down, you can more or less look at the sun because it's it's fairly a, a glowing dot in that. So uh, yeah, it'd be perfectly safe to uh, observe uh, an eclipse through those if you could, uh, you know, if you could actually see it. This, you know, if you're lucky enough to see the sun. But uh, no, uh, that's how we cope with the the sun glaring into the cockpit all the time. We still have to look out for aircraft, and if the aircraft happens to be uh, relatively close to a sun that's low on the horizon, you're still going to have to try and find it with your eyes. And, of course, it's always a danger that you might stare at the sun. So that's what we tend to use, the uh, these really effective uh, sun shields that are there are available on the flight deck. Since your airplane is a little bit more modern than the one that I fly, uh, we do have... Uh, I don't know. Yeah, like some newspaper? Well, I was going to say, hang on. <laughs> <laughs> we do have tinted uh, um, visors that we can Badly. move around. Uh, probably Still using paper charts. So they just. Yeah. You know, if we had paper charts, they work great. Uh, newspapers work well, too. Now, of course, we have to make sure that we're not, you know, blocking our view out the windows, because as Nick just said, even though if you're, you know, you're traveling at 
the cruise altitudes in the 30s and 40s, you still have to be clearing for traffic and UFOs and uh, what else? Uh, all drones, <laughs> all, all kinds of weather balloons. weather balloons and other things. Oh, I did see. Um, I don't know how much of you what you heard from what I was talking about my little flying trip on um, Saturday because my internet was not working great at that point. But I did see just like um, someone's happy birthday balloon up at about twenty five hundred feet. Nice. Those, um, what are they? Mylar. Was there like a little kid holding on to it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> a little boy scout. <laughs> An old man and oh, an old man in a big house, <laughs> and a whole bunch of balloons. <laughs> oh man, yeah, I've seen balloons before. Uh, it, it gets your attention, and usually yeah, only you, go, Ooh, you know because you see it right as you're passing it, not before that. And what's funny about that is usually when you're there with uh, at least two or more of you in the cockpit, usually only one person sees it because it's, you have to be looking right at the right place to see it. Yep. Absolutely. Anyway, so yeah, we do have, uh, but I'm sure they're not as effective as the uh, as the visors or uh, whatever you call those shades in uh, in your airplane, Nick. But uh, well, I don't know about that, Jeff. A, a, a piece of colored plastic is a piece of colored, colored yeah. plastic, <laughs> right? Although I, I have to say, uh, in the days when we used to get those little plastic films that uh, you used to put on a on a tray and mm-hmm. serve your meal on that uh, everything kind of stuck to, they were great because if you give them a little bit of le- static electricity, you could just slap them on a piece of, uh, on the win- windshield and they would just stick there and you could peel them off and move them around. Mm-hmm. They were ideal. Uh, but like you say, uh, not, not perfect for flight safety because they actually, you can't see through them. <laughs> right. Right. But, uh, you know, not a bad idea. So, uh, there you go. Um, Thank you, Greg, for your feedback and question about the uh, precautions for pilots and passengers. And then uh, it was kind of nice to hear about one of the instances of uh, people fortunate enough to be on uh, airliners uh, during the actual total eclipse. So we were just getting a a message from Dana that he'll be joining us in approximately half an hour. And uh, that'll be about the time that uh, Steph will be having to leave. So that should work out well. Um, Let's see. What else did I want to do here? Let's move on to the best part of the show, which, of course, is your feedback. Captain, incoming message. Okie dokie. Let's see. Let's start off with some feedback from Max. Hello. I'm new to the APG community. I found out about this podcast because of my passion for aviation, but more so because of the fact that I want to be an airline pilot for a career, which brings me to a question for you guys and gals. I'm currently taking flight school for my PPL, and I'm getting close to my first solo flight. Do you have any tips and or tricks for studying for the pre-solo exam? Thanks for your time and consideration, and keep on flying. And then again, that's uh, from Max Badney. So it has been a long, long time since I've soloed and I don't remember any kind of a pre-solo examination. So I'm not going to be very helpful here. Uh, Steph, would you uh, have any advice? Yeah, I'm probably the closest to this, but even that was like over six years ago at this point. And I'm just trying to remember off the top of my head what was actually on the test. But I think some of it was airplane specific. So 
um, you know, was knowing the different V speeds for your aircraft and um, some of the, oh gosh, what else was on there? Um, know how to, uh, like, know how to uh, pick the right door to get into the airplane? Yeah. It was, it, I mean, it was, you know, basic safety stuff. So, you know, they don't, it's, this isn't your written test for your private pilot certificate, but it's more practical things about aircraft safety and being able to, you know, operate your particular aircraft safely for the first time by yourself. Um, yeah, I think there was some stuff on there about, you know, VFR weather minimums, probably some stuff about, um, you know, what your uh, solo flight requirements are, because um, there are some um, limitations there uh, in terms of how far you can go away from the airport and what types of um, cross-country type trips you can take and things like that. Um now, Fred is helping us out here. He says, oh, okay, good. Uh, stall speeds, stall recovery, yep. emergency landing, problems in the patterns. There you go. All good See, stuff to no. know. That yeah. makes a lot of sense. So if it's like, uh, I mean, I'm going to tell uh, Max that uh, his entire career, if he's going to fly for all of his life, is going to consist of nothing more than having to recall and pass uh, tests and uh spout information uh, on all sorts of subjects and they, they get more and more complex but the, the, still the basis is that when it comes time to study for these uh, all you can do old chap is to uh, you know put yourself in a in a good environment make sure you've got all the information there you need to know and uh, just quietly plow through it don't make yourself too tired by studying too long i found that making uh notes was a great way of forcing things into my brain because i found the act of writing the information out helped me remember it uh and um you know when you get mentally tired and you think you can't learn anymore then take a break but come back to it don't don't skip it and that's the way for studying for any exam, really. If you're going to have to produce information, spout information out, you just need to quietly work at it until it's become you know, embedded in your brain. And I think the the only advice, or not the only, but uh, some, some sage advice from me is that uh, don't doubt that you're not ready to solo when your instructor says it's time for me to get out of the airplane and for you to go up by yourself. If If he or she did not think that you are ready to do it, they wouldn't leave the airplane and let you do it yourself. So have confidence that and, oh, yeah, the other thing going along, going along with that is that they're not going to give you the pre solo written test unless you already have learned all that information somewhere. So they right. need to be reasonably confident that you're going to be able to answer those questions before they give you that test. So and that's the easy part. And, and try to, uh, I know it's easy to say now uh, it's been a very, very long time since I soloed, but try to, cognitively remember the, the 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 experience as best you can because when you get to be an old guy like me uh i don't remember <laughs> really anything about my solo i mean hardly anything and uh it's because maybe i didn't specifically just sit there and go this is one of those things i'm never ever going to do again in my life and i should really pay attention to everything just take it all in yeah nowadays you can just stick a gopro to the windshield yeah <laughs> we didn't have those back then yeah, you should have got someone I, to do a pencil picture of it. <laughs> it's a painting. <laughs> yeah, like after sitting there watching, like making a, <laughs> a little watercolor painting. It was going to be a great if you down on the runway. It was going to be a great painting, but unfortunately, we ran out of gas and crashed. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh well. No, I do. I mean, actually, I don't. I don't remember taking the. I vaguely remember taking the pre-solo written test, but I remember that it was not. You know, it's certainly not the detailed stuff that you're going to do for your private pilot written test. Um, it's more practical stuff. It's more the like Fred was saying in the chat room. You know, what do you need to know for right then and there for doing pattern work for, um, you know, operating the aircraft safely, so all of your V speeds, your stall speeds, that type of stuff, and that will be aircraft specific. So. Your instructor should have given you that information already but i do remember very well my first solo you know that's i remember a lot of those details well you remember a lot because you're such a young person yes but one day i i imagine when i am perhaps a little bit older i will still remember all of those details i hope i hope so yeah so, all right okay uh so finally max good luck and by by now maybe you've already uh you know, accomplished your solo. And if you have, uh, write back and uh, let us know, uh, or I say write back, send us a message via the internet and uh, we'll be able to share in the elation of soloing with you. Hi, Captain Jeff and the whole APT crew in order of appearance, Captain Dana, Dr. Steph, Miami Rick, and Captain Nick. My name is Steve Andress. I'm a captain at Alaska Airlines. I've been here for 27 years. I did my first 13 years in the right seat of the MD-8283, and I've been a captain on the 737 for the past 14 years. Before that, I was in the Air Force flying KC-135s in Japan, then RC-135s operating out of Shimia in the Aleutian Islands, Athens, Greece, and Mildenhall in the UK. I don't have a question, but I do have a few comments. First, I started to listen to APG back at episode 235, but I wanted to know more of the development of the show, the characters and the background behind the jokes. So I went back to the beginning, APG 1. And then I found out APG had a beginning, so I began with the Catholic pilot. I'm currently on episode 195, and all played at normal speed. But not to worry, I don't have APG syndrome. If I did, I'd have to declare it on my FA medical. And besides, I can quit anytime I want. In fact, just the other day, I didn't listen to APG at all. I put APG away and listened instead to Omega Tau. Marcus was interviewing some RAFF4 pilot about bear bombers. So see, no problem here. Second, there's a CFII down in Ocala, Florida, Jason Shepard. His mantra is, a good pilot is always learning. I don't know him, but I've tried to adopt his philosophy. When I first started listening to APG, I thought, I know what happens on my side of the cockpit door. But thinking I might learn something and applying Jason's mantra, I listened. And the more I did, the more I gained. Learning from crashes, incidents, the how and why of things, and finding links to more information outside this, the show, such as the Children of the Magenta. As a result, I think I'm a better pilot and captain. And finally, I enjoy the show very much. Listening to you all makes my commute to LAX bearable, the yard work easier, and painting the house go a little quicker. To show my appreciation, I became a patron of the show. One of the podcast reviewers a while back said he liked the podcast better when it was just Captain Jeff and less Airbus Boeing bantering taking place. Although I disagree with him, I think there was a time for just Captain Jeff. You made the show, but the show, well, I was going to say matured. Maybe that's pushing it. The show evolved to become what it is. For me, it's like hangar flying, bouncing experiences, opinions on questions or events off pilots or the APG community with the result of being more informed. Sometimes the information is not even aviation related. Micah, for one, has provided some very good non-aviation information over the years. I liked his piece on journalism. As for the bantering, well, we all do that. When I was on the MD, we called the 737 the dark side. 
And now here I am, on the dark side. Anyway, again, great show. I hope to meet you all sometime. Thanks. No, Steve, the dark side is the Airbus fleet. Come on, get it right. <laughs> Hang on a bit. We bring light to pilots. Is that, a, is that the motto of Airbus? No, it'd be a good one, though. <laughs> we are the light side. <laughs> okay. Sure. Boeing at the Boeing at the dunks. Ah, uh, okay. Well, here we go. Here's that banter everybody loves. The, the company that swallows up all those other guys and paints Boeing on their aircraft and claims them for their own. Anyway, uh, Steve, so nice to hear from you. Uh, what do you say, seven forty-seven pilot? Uh, I think uh, he started off by saying what he was currently flying. Seven thirty-seven. Seven thirty-seven. Ah, thirty-seven forty-seven. Whatever. Same thing. They're the same thing, basically. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty <Boeing>. much. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Dark side. Yeah, they're they're all evil. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you. Thank you for uh Thank you for taking the By the way, uh Nick, do you ever listen to the very end of the show in the last, I don't know, handful of episodes? To the always to the bitter end, Jeff, in, do you? including the, the little extras to get added on. And I did hear that little <laughs> snippet you put on to the, the Your words. Show. Your words, not mine. Yeah, but they were taken out of context. Yeah, absolutely, they were. <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to know what we're talking about, you just got to get, listen to the very end of the audio uh, show, and then you'll you'll hear Nick say something um, shocking, actually. As so. soon as I leave here, I'm going to listen to that because I have not listened to that. <laughs> it's it's actually, on the Eclipse no, it's I was on a um, suitable moment to get my own back, Jeff. I wasn't going to bring it up or anything. I was just next time we meet, I was just going to clip your ear when you weren't looking. Uh oh, uh oh. It's about I don't know, probably the last half dozen or more uh, shows at the very end. Um, you know, and after the after the Roadrunner beep beep and uh, Paul Harvey saying good day, and then day. there then there's something right there that you need to listen for before the. Uh, down, 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 down. What do we call that? No more airplanes. Uh, the the wonderful piece that uh, Miami Hick came up with, um, and then of course uh, the the dulcet tones of Hillel uh, doing the uh, legal disclaimer. We have a we are big time now. We have a legal disclaimer at the very end of the uh, show. I think we should have an illegal disclaimer. We should probably put well. one of those in there as well. Yes. <laughs> Anyway, uh, so check it out, Steph. Um, yeah, clearly I've listened. Yes, of course you have. <laughs> of course I have. <laughs> okay. Um, oh any any other comments uh, for, about uh, Steve's audio feedback before we move on to some more audio feedback? Well, I have great sympathy with him having to go back all that distance. And uh, no, of course you haven't got APG syndrome. None of not us do. All. No, no, we're immune to it. Oh, that's right. I should. Um... But definitely do not declare it on your medical because... Yeah, that's immediate ground. But, you know, there there is uh, some experimental medicine medication out there. Uh, let's see, what is it called? That is true. Why, hello there. My name is Miami Hick, and I'm here to talk to you today about an embarrassing subject that no one likes to talk about, APG syndrome. Do you have a constant pain in your neck from always looking up at airplanes? Have you tried to grow your own Captain Jeff mustache? Do you think of Miami Rick every time you hear a cricket? Think of Captain Nick when you hear a frog croak. <laughs> think of Dana whenever you eat Boston baked beans. Do you think of Dr. Steph whenever you get stuck with a needle? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then you are suffering 
from APG syndrome will suffer no more. Introducing Go Around Acillin. With only 36 daily doses of an easy to swallow pill, you can be free of your symptoms with Go Around Acillin. Talk to your doctor today and find out if Go Around Acillin is right for you. Like all medicine, Go Around Acillin has side effects which include headache, nausea, vomiting, stomach bleeding, bleeding from the ears, nose, and eyes, uncontrolled diarrhea, stomach cramps, yellowing of the teeth, hair, and toenails, warts, hair loss, dry mouth, constipation, and stomach cramps. I'd say just stay with the uh, APG syndrome. Those uh, side effects sound pretty pretty nasty. Yeah, you can get stomach cramps twice, apparently. Twice. Yep. <laughs> and, and the other thing I just noticed uh, for the first time is that you have to take 36 daily doses. Daily doses, yeah. yeah. It's, I mean, it's, yeah. You'll, you'll spend most of your time working on the treatment. During yeah, the it's just not worth it. Just deal with it. <laughs> but Steve, as you said, he does not have the syndrome because he listened to uh, the uh, Omega Tau uh, podcast and the episode about that dude uh, chasing bear bombers. So obviously he doesn't have the syndrome. Yeah, that was the event that sucked me into this whirlpool. <laughs> the cesspool. You, you curse Marcus's name on a daily basis, don't you? Marcus. Absolutely. <laughs> I've got Marcus to thank for that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, do you have uh, just a few more minutes, Steph, uh, for me to play this next piece of audio? I do. Yeah, okay. I'm good. Ex- excellent. Excellent. Uh, let's see here if I can only find it. Here we go. This is from Jonathan. Hey, Captain Jeff and crew. This is Jonathan here in Tampa. I uh, am a aspiring private pilot. I've got about 35 hours. So hopefully within the next few months, money and time permitting, I will have my private pilot's license. My home airport is Peter O'Knight in downtown Tampa. You probably know of it, Captain Jeff, because I know you fly into the area. It's sort of well known because uh, it only has a 4,000-foot runway, but a um, military cargo plane mistook it for a McDill Air Force Base about two or three years ago. There's a bunch of videos online of it landing and taking off. taking off after they unloaded a lot of weight off of it. But anyhow, uh, my question is about Tampa International Airport, local question. And it's my question is, why don't I ever see any large aircraft, 747s, A340s, etc., here in Tampa? Is it uh, constraints of the runway length? I think it's they're both 10,000 feet runways, um, the two north-south runways. Is it just a supply and demand issue? There's no airlines that need anything that big here. Is it because we don't have that many international flights? Uh, I know the 747 is slowly uh, going into retirement, but even before that, rarely ever see any unless uh, president's in town or something. So that was my question. Um, I love the show. Love you guys. Uh, would love to help set up a meetup here if you guys are ever in town. Or Captain Jeff, I know you're here all the time. Cigar City Brewery's right around the corner. I know the owner a little bit, and I know that you're a big fan of it. There's also lots of other micro brews popping up all over town. Some great places, especially in Ybor City. There's three or four breweries there now. Uh, anyhow, I'd be happy to help set up a meetup here in town. And uh, I'll stop rambling on, and I will wait to hear my answer on the air in a few weeks. Thank you, guys. Love the show. Talk to you later. I've never heard of High Line Cigar City Ruin. Mm. Mm. None of us really care. For ah, I'm drinking a High Line right now, actually. <laughs> 
And yes, I would love, <laughs> I would love to go to Cigar City Brewery uh, and uh, do a tour and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I, I, obviously, if he kind of, sort of, maybe knows the owner. Yeah, cool. very cool. Yeah. Anyway, we'll take you up on it, Jonathan. Yes, we'll definitely Hopefully do that. When did he send this in? Let's see. Uh, the eleventh. Oh, just the other day. Okay. Yeah. So not too long ago, but maybe he's even that much closer to um, finishing up his private pilot certificate. Yeah, I bet he is. Yeah, please let us know, Jonathan, if you. Uh, when you do. Yeah, if if you are getting close, you said you were. So, let us know if you've reached that uh, that goal. And uh, let's see. He had a question about uh, uh, Tampa International. Uh, the runways are, are, you're right, they're both very long runways. It's not a, it's not a runway limitation thing uh, for the uh, wide bodies to uh, be ever present at Tampa International. And of course they have, it's an international airport, they have international flights. Uh, it's more of, a, of the fact that it's not one of the major uh, hubs for any of the airlines, um, but it is a, a destination that Acme flies to quite a bit. Uh, and I believe years ago we did fly. Um, I, I remember flying the L ten eleven in there uh, a lot. Uh, the uh, the westernmost runway is the one that's um, the that we always used, and most air carriers used ex- except uh, Southwest. They uh, end up using the um, the east runway, the one nine um, and one. Uh, yeah, one nine left. Yes. And uh, they do that because it's closest to that side of the where their terminals are on that side of the airport. And that's a little bit shorter runway, but it's not a short runway. I mean, as far as 8,300 feet. Okay, thanks. I was going to say it was probably between eight and nine thousand feet long. And the runway on the the westernmost runway is like, what, 11,000 or something? 11,000 and two. Okay. Woo. Wow. Pretty good, huh? Yeah, yeah. that's good. <laughs> I knew it was. I'm cheating. Something I'm looking like at it right now, but <laughs> yeah, I'm just relying upon my memory. But uh, and occasionally you'll see. Uh, I think one of the foreign carriers does operate a Dreamliner into um, into Tampa, um, and so you're starting to see some of those um, airlines operate. That wow, sounds like. Uh, uh. I think it's a far along line. <laughs> Do you need to go? <laughs> uh, well, I'll, I'll just listen to see what they say. Usually it's a false alarm. <laughs> wow. Okay. I thought it was pretty bad a minute ago when I had like a ambulance right outside. Oh, that was you? I thought I, I just, me. I assumed yeah. that was uh, Nick's uh, audio because. No, no, that was me. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, no problem. That's just part of uh, the ambiance of uh, right. doing doing the show live from various locations. Of obviously, we don't have uh, dedicated studios, uh, but uh, that's just the way it works in uh, this world of podcasting. At least most podcasters and pos- podcasts. I think I'm safe for the moment. Okay, good. Yeah, I'll, we'll let you know if we see some like flames yeah. uh, in the I'm background or smoke. Some wet towels <laughs> under the door just to be on the safe side. So uh, I see that Dana is uh, is in the uh, picture now, and um, I'm not sure if he's ready to say anything to us or not. Good afternoon. He is. Hello. <laughs> Good afternoon, Dana. Welcome to the uh, the show in progress. Perfect timing. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, Good so. To be here. Good, good to see you. Uh, so, how how have you been? Uh, that, yeah, fine. Um, today was uh, low key. Uh, made it on time. Didn't have to wait thirty nine minutes or thirty eight minutes, whatever it was, for the hotel van tonight. Thank goodness. So uh, it was uh, an uneventful day, just the way we like it. A broken APU, but uh, glad to be here. 
because we can always use external power and air to start the engine. So, how did you break it? Did you like stick a wrench into the the hole or something or what? How yeah, no, just... I had a little flatulence when I walked by it. Uh, and it, just, it couldn't breathe properly, so it shut itself down. I I understand. Yeah. I understand. No, it's it. Uh, it we were starting it to to provide water for coffee. You know, it is you know the hundred all cup of coffee um and i uh i uh noticed it was spooling up and then spooled right back down called maintenance over and uh, they said well you know what they'd normally do let me have your log booking your orange book and which is our mel and away they they ticketed it and mel did and pulled us a couple circuit breakers and away we went so hmm it's, now, uh, a lot of people are wondering exactly what you're talking about when, when you talk about uh, why would you have to start the APU to get a cup well, of coffee? All right. Well, let's explain. Let's explain that. Okay. On our particular aircraft, and I can't speak for other airplanes because, well, I've uh, not flown a whole different variety of, of aircraft. Um, we have a water tank. In order to pressurize the water tank, we have to have some type of air source. Now, we do have a small... Um, remote pump that you can press a button that will go ahead and pressurize the tank if it's working. Uh, in this case, uh, we tried the button several times and it was not working. And they had just filled the water. So when you fill the water, all the pressure uh, leaves the tank. And so to build that, that pressure, that pump is supposed to work, but it didn't. So in order to make a cup of coffee, you need to have water, of course. So now you have to start the APU, which provides air to the air conditioning system. Excuse me. I'm sorry. I didn't realize it wasn't on silent. Um, and that is what allows us to make the coffee. So it's a hundred instead of a hundred dollar hamburger flying somewhere, it's a hundred dollar cup of coffee just so. So the passengers can have coffee. Right. Yeah. Just that just helps us get some head uh, pressure on the headspace above the water tank. And that little tiny uh, pump that uh, Dana is referring to, um, usually, if you have enough patience, it'll eventually provide enough pressure. You know, it has to fill that volume of airspace above the uh, water in the tank before it can actually start pushing the water through the system but the uh, when you get the apu started and you tap the uh, uh air air from the uh, apu it, it happens almost instantaneously so anyway uh liz was asking about where you are dana i am in baltimore maryland for the second day in a row remember the last time i was in baltimore the city uh, blew up so this is my first trip back to baltimore since that last incident where the street blew up. But you're not um, in downtown, though, right? You're near I the airport? I am not. I am by the airport, and I'm uh, kind of happy we're doing the show tonight, honestly, because there's nothing at all around this uh, hotel. There's a there's a bar called Champions Downstairs, which has Mets and Mets food, and their happy hour special is a $6 12-ounce Budweiser. Oh, no, six, excuse me, 16-ounce. So when I was uh, in Detroit... I took the liberty to stop at this place called the Plum Market, which has it's kind of like a Whole Foods. If anybody knows what Whole Foods is, inside the airport, and they have nice fresh, uh, nice fresh um, salads and so forth. So I grabbed a, a curried uh, cauliflower salad and a um, a vegan protein salad. So I'm having wow. actually no no meat this evening. That sounds um, really good, though. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I actually had, because I was going to get the curry chicken, because I love the curry chicken. 
Um, but, you know, it comes in a little package like this. And uh, they gave me a sample, and I tried it, and it's it's very tasty. That sounds I good. I love curry. Yeah, I do so, too. It's a bit spendy. It's $5 for that little container, but mm-hmm. listen, it's it's actually healthy compared to uh, compared to most options, and the only option outside the hotel uh, here is McDonald's. Not my favorite place. Yeah. Chicken nuggets. Yeah. <laughs> McDonald's is my kind of place. I won't fit in the cockpit if I eat crap like that. So. <laughs> I never eat fast food. Try not to, at least. All right. So, yeah, uh, Liz just said she noticed that I had a beard last time. Well, yes, Liz, I had to come uh, had to come back to work. So, unlike Captain Nick across the pond. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> He's just noticing what something. <laughs> what happened? Wow, Dana, Dana's looking with uh, interest at the uh, at the video. Wow, Nick shaved his beard as well. Well, I, I mean, I saw you were growing one, so I thought, well, there's no way I want to be uh, accidentally mistaken for Dana. So I instantly shave mine off. Well, now we look alike again. You're going to grow, grow yours back, or what? Take Wait a minute, I can't. Worth, and it's getting there. I can't tell who I'm looking at here. Am I looking at Dana or am I looking at Nick? You guys look I, like identical twins. Right Wow. Until we open our mouths. <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, this is fun. Um, oh, welcome, Dana. And uh, as I Glad said, that Steph will uh, be leaving uh, shortly. So See, I, I come and she leaves. Yeah, I scare her away. Oh, so sorry. <laughs> That's the way you are with women, I guess, huh? Story of my life. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I love you, Dana. I know. Oh, I love right. you too. Okay, so that, actually, I probably am going to head out unless okay there was other feedback that you were saving for me. There. No, I um, I think that uh, there's really nothing specifically for you. So okay. yeah, so this would be a good time. So thanks for uh, joining us um, today, Steph, and yep, uh, of course. have a great uh, evening right. and a great week. Thanks, y'all too, and I'll see everyone next week. Bye, Steph. And Chat next week. Bye. Yep, bye. absolutely. See ya. Bye, bye. Bye. Okay. Uh, so let's see. We just finished with Jonathan and his questions about Tampa International and Cigar City Brewery. I think we finished answering the question about why you didn't. Oh, no, we didn't really. We we're kind of in the middle of that. Um, so, again, Tampa is one of those airports that uh, is not a, a big you know, international hub, but they are, they do have international flights and it's just, uh, only air airlines that operate, um, airplanes like the, uh, the 787 and perhaps the, uh, Airbus 350 that are better at those. What do they call those, those kind of routes that, um, they're long, thin, long, thin routes. Yeah, that's it. So, uh, yeah, it's a spoken, not a hub main man. Micah says, of course. And, um, but, uh, it's just, uh, you know, nowadays it just it's better suited for the narrow body type airplanes that are a little bit more efficient. So there you have are you it. Trying to say that no one wants to go there. No, I think Tampa is a beautiful place. I love Tampa. It's a uh, a lot of people want to go there. In fact, we fly there. I don't know how many flights per day, but probably at least nine or ten uh, flights from Atlanta. Oh, wow. yeah. yeah, almost hourly. Yeah, and then we also serve it from uh, the New York airports as well. Uh, so it's a popular destination. All right. Uh, let's continue with, uh, some more, uh, audio feedback. This one from, well, I'll let you, uh, hear, 
him introduce himself. Hey, APG crew, it's Mark from Maine, or let's let's just say Maniac Mark. We know we've got the Maine man, Micah, but uh, we just refer to me as Maniac Mark. Maybe not. But anyways, um, so yeah, first I just wanted to say thanks, Captain Jeff, for meeting my daughter and I up here up in Maine when you were up here recently. Uh, really enjoyed meeting you. It was a real pleasure with... Uh, with you and Micah, uh, really, really enjoyed it. it. Was a great time. Um, so my question uh, for the uh, feedback here is: is this? Um, you know, I was always wondering when you know when you're on a layover, when you um, you know visit a different town, you have to stay overnight. Whether or not that uh, your lodging is is paid for by the airline, or whether that's something you you guys have to pay for. Um, you know, your food and, and everything while you're away from home. I assumed that the airline paid for it, but maybe not. Um, I used to work on a ship many years ago and when we were commuting, you know, you know, everything was kind of covered by the company and everything, but I was just wondering whether or not it was kind of the same way, uh, working for the airline. Uh, on another note, um, I, I did get a prescription for go around to selling, but, um, the side effects, I was reading the label, and yeah, I don't know if I'm really going to go through with taking this course of of medicine because I'm really concerned about that. Um, so anyways, uh, I'll let you know next time, see how it goes. All right, guys. Well, thanks for, thanks for everything, and uh, thanks for a great show. I always look forward to it. All right. Take care. Well, thank you, Maniac Mark. <laughs> you are now so dubbed. Uh, yeah, I agree. Probably the best thing to do is to stay away from the go around to Cillin because it sounds like the side effects are horrible. So, um, I don't, I'm pretty sure it works the same way for Captain Nick's airline as it does for Dana and my airline where the company pays for your accommodations. If they didn't, then we would probably be camping or staying at the motel sixes around the place and, and, and doubling bunking up with other crew members just to save some money because, um, airline pilots are notorious for being very, um, let's see, what's the right word to use? Frugal. Frugal. Okay, that's exactly the word I was going to use. Frugal. Frugal. And I think that, uh, what, what, what do they say that, uh, copper wire was invented by two airline pilots, uh, fighting over a penny. Yeah, two L ten eleven captains. <laughs> so yeah, um, or in my case, being that I'm Jewish, I'll just stop there. Okay, uh, very good. Thank you. Make my editing a lot easier. Uh, let's see. So yeah, the airline pays for, it. and the way it works at Acme is that all this stuff is contracted. Uh, there is a uh, the company has. A department that is uh, called crew accommodations and they go out and survey various hotels uh, both hotels that are near the uh, the the airport for the shorter layovers and also hotels that are a little bit farther away from the airport in the usually in a downtown area or an area where there is a lot of shopping and and uh, restaurants and other activities for the crews and uh, so they, they seek out, um, appropriate accommodations. And then, um, the union that represents the pilots at ACME also, uh, are involved with, uh, looking at touring and choosing these, uh, locations, uh, as well. And, uh, those, there are certain minimum requirements for, you know, uh, like restaurant, uh, 
you know, restaurants nearby, shopping, that kind of thing, as I mentioned before, internet. It used to be where internet was not considered part of the contract. So sometimes you go to the, a lot of the time, most of the time you go to a hotel just a few years back that if you wanted to have internet access, you would have to pay for it yourself. But now that's all included in part of the contract negotiations with our company and the hotels. And uh, luckily uh, with Acme, the uh, hotels that are chosen for our cruise are very, very nice hotels. They're definitely not subpar uh, they're at least above average accommodations or sometimes even luxury accommodations. So that's uh, very nice. And uh, what we do is, since it's all uh, taken care of beforehand, is that we uh, get into the airport uh, for the, our layover location. Uh, transportation, that's another aspect of it. Uh, it. That's also provided by our company. And if it's a hotel that has a shuttle service associated with the hotel, then it's usually their hotel van that uh, moves us from the airport to the hotel. If not, if it's one of the longer distance uh, locations, longer layover hotels, a lot of times we'll contract or the company will contract with a local uh, private carrier to provide that transportation for us. And again, we don't pay anything for that. We as crew members don't. The company does. And then we arrive at the hotel and they see us in our uniforms and then they pull a clipboard out or a, or a notebook. Uh, and they uh, a lot of times they'll say, what airline? And, you know, we say Acme. And then they find the appropriate clipboard or the appropriate notebook. And it has all of our flight information, inbound flight information, outbound flight information, uh, what time the uh, van is going to leave or your uh, arranged or scheduled transportation is going to be picking you up in the next the next day for uh, travel back out to the uh, airport. And uh, they hand you the keys after you fill out your name and employee number. And uh, that's it. So there's no transaction made at all. We don't, you know, hand out, a, we don't have a credit card that we give them and or we don't pay for it out of our own pocket and then claim an expense uh, statement or whatever after after the fact, and uh, the next day we just you know hand our keys in, or sometimes I'll just leave my key in the in the room, and we take the transportation back to the airport, and that's it. So it's very very easy and convenient. Now the downside to this is because our airline is contracting with these major hotel chains, is that since it's such a low rate, the hotel chains say we're not going to give any points for your crew members uh, staying at the hotel. And so that's the downside of all this, that uh, if we were paying for it on our own dime and uh, you know doing expense uh, statements and that kind of thing, uh, there's we probably would be able to uh, keep all those hotel stay credits and all that kind of stuff. But uh, the way it works for us is that we don't get to do that. And I mean, there are some exceptions, but most of the time that's the way it is. And if I had to choose one or the other way to do it, uh, I like the way it is right now. It's just an, a, not a hassle at all for us to get to where we're going. You're usually very tired at the end of the day, and you don't have to worry about doing you know paperwork after you get back from a trip or once a month or whatever. So Yeah, we don't get air miles either, do we, Jeff? I think that's a bit unfair. No, no air miles unless you happen to have a credit card from your company that you use for day-to-day -day transactions. Yeah. So, how about you, uh, Nick? The same same kind of uh, system. Exactly. Yep. Uh, the union already. Uh, they just have to tick a few boxes to make sure that the room is suitable. So it's got uh, 
extra covers you can pull over the windows that make the place completely light-proof. There's food available 24 hours. Uh, you know, those kind of uh, facilities for people who are traveling at odd hours of the day and night and need to be able to sleep uh, when they're resting for a flight, perhaps in the middle of the day. Uh, and that it's also reasonably quiet and they're, you know, reasonably comfortable. Uh, but we don't get to choose where they are. The company uh, just uh, actually have done very well in the past for giving us hotels that are in great locations. Very rarely have we been stuck out uh, in the in in quiet spots. And uh, we, because we're long haul, and we uh, usually have at least. Um, um, 18, perhaps 24, as is a minimum between flights. We inevitably uh, go to a nice spot. We'd never use uh, airport hotels. Yeah, that's a little bit because uh, Dana and I are flying both, you know, a combination of short, medium, not really any long haul at all. So, uh, but I have to say, you know, I have noticed, uh, you know, I've been with uh, Acme for more than 28 years and uh, it's, it's a little bit cyclical. I'd say for the most part, most of the accommodations that I've been in over the years have all been pretty nice. Uh, but there are times when the economy is really doing well that you sometimes see the accommodations not quite so luxurious because that means that the uh, hotel chains are doing a good business and the crew business, they're not yielding as much profit from. And they'll say, mm, I don't think we want you here anymore. And they'd rather have the business travelers and the, and the leisure travelers and they make more money that way. But when things kind of go south in the economy and then all of a sudden dan and i are staying at nicer accommodations so it's uh, interesting how that yeah, uh, there, happens there are some cities where the contracts change every year 18 months regularly we're always hunting out new uh, hotels there are other places we've been at for years and i can't imagine this is ever moving yeah that's true. There are there are some uh, locations, some layover uh, like uh, hotels that we stay in that I, I it's the same hotel we've been in since I've been with Acme and uh, others. It seems like every time you lay over there, you're in a different place. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, <clears throat> actually, my hometown is one of the uh, one of the hotels we, that we've been at for ever since I can remember since the early nineties. And we're, well, it's and that's interesting. When we're there, I have been uh, moved around in a clutch of about five hotels, and they're all actually within a stone's throw of each other. Uh, and we just seem to swing from <laughs> one to other. And, uh, you know, next year it'll be the one next door, and it's, it's just like they're fighting for the contract amongst each other. And, uh, you know, new new hotel wins it. And, but, you know, you, you might as well be in the same hotel. You're going to exact the same restaurants and things nearby. So it doesn't make a difference to us. Yeah. We see the same exact thing. And in fact, a lot of those hotels that you're kind of uh, rolling over to uh, every few months or every year or two, uh, a lot of times the, the, the name has changed because you look at your, your rotation or your trip sheet and you go, oh, we're staying at a different hotel. And then you get there and you go, oh, no, this is the same hotel. It's a different name. So I think there must be some kind of an accounting thing for the hotel, uh, the hotels to uh, like sell their properties. And then another, you know, goes from a Hilton to a Hyatt to a to a crown plaza and then the next time you're there it's back to the hilton again so i would say the most important thing of any hotel room is that doesn't matter where it is as long as it's clean mm -hmm. that's the most important thing to me i want to walk into a nice fresh clean hotel room uh you know fresh linens and and not find here in my bathroom and and you know the toilet seat not washed and find stains in my sheets. I mean, those, those are things that 
immediately turned me off. And so far, you know, it, it happens occasionally, but for the most part, uh, the higher end hotel chains tend to have a better record of keeping clean, clean facility. And, um, you know, even my bed at home right now, it's, it's causing me some major back problems and a really good test me coming back out on the road after being off so long. And amazingly enough, sleeping in the tent and sleeping in that blow up bed, um, my back was doing really well because I blew it up nice and firm. So it was a test last night and the, the hotel I'm staying at here in Baltimore, um, has excellent beds. They're f- firm, but very comfortable. And guess what? I woke up this morning with no back pain. So, you know, it, that's, that's a very important thing is the comfort of the bed as well. Mm-hmm. Do you carry one of those ultraviolet lights around with you, uh, Dana, no. to check for uh, no. bodily fluids? <laughs> you'll, you'll, I, never, I, you'll never find a good room. <laughs> yeah. I, I have the, I have the, uh, the philosophy is I don't really want to know. Yeah, I'm yeah. the same as you, Jeff. I'd rather not know. <laughs> and I, I'm not, I'm not going to go over to get it right now, but my remote control always has a condom on it. And I got to quantify that. You know, the... <laughs> Who keeps putting these I, condoms on? I, I hope it's not a lubricated one. Oh, no. <laughs> Is it some joker that's going around your room just before you get there? No, I actually, <laughs> I call it a condom, but if you know the bag that they use for the ice, you know, you can use the bag for ice for your, your ice bucket. I You're a germaphobe. I, I put my hand inside the bag, I grab the remote control, I wrap the bag around <laughs> the remote control, tie it off, and then my, my, uh, my, my uh, remote control stays clean, you know. It's <laughs> the two dirtiest things in a hotel room are the remote control and the telephone. Yeah. I'm the opposite. I'm thinking if I'm not exposing myself to all kinds of germs, then I'm going to die of something. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I take the I take the remote and actually start licking it. That's that's uh, the opposite end of this. No, I'm not. I don't really do that. <laughs> Just kidding. But I don't. I don't. I don't I'm not. I'm, the remote never works. Yeah, that's well, why. <laughs> the hotel rooms are far cleaner than our flight decks are. I can assure you that. Yeah, I don't even worry about the. Uh, I don't care if it's that clean or not. I mean, there. I never notice anything. You know, gross. Uh, if I saw something that was really grossly out of out of whack, then I might say something. But nah, I'm I'm pretty I'm not very picky at all. Um, anyway, so good. That was a good discussion about hotels. Um, let's see. Fabian has sent us some audio feedback. We have a lot of audio feedback for this show, which we love. So take it away. Hi, APGS, Captain Jeff, Doctor Steph, Nick, Dana, hopefully Rick, and whoever might be co-hosting. ATPL and aerospace student Fabian from Germany here. I got a question for you, but to get there, I need to back up a little. I did a sightseeing flight a few weeks back with a childhood friend of mine and his girlfriend, and afterwards with my sister and my father. Since I only own one handset, I borrowed two, one of which was the Bose A20, which I was keen on trying. I started the engine of the PA28 Cadet, plugged in the headset and pushed the button to activate the noise cancelling. Absolutely brilliant. The engine sound was almost gone. Another feature of the headset is that you can plug in a secondary sound source, like a smartphone, to listen to music or the latest APG. Since I don't know how exactly the Bose A20 handles the input from multiple sources, and I know Jeff owns a Bose A20, here's the question. Does the headset shut down down the secondary audio input when there's input via the aviation plug, be it an ATC call or the intercom. 
does stuff you hear from your smart from your phone via the secondary audio input get recorded by the cockpit voice recorder i know you're not allowed to plug in music into the secondary input when under sterile cockpit but i guess the ntsb needs a way to know what caused you to crash the aircraft on landing but if the audio smartphone feeds the headset isn't on the cockpit voice recorder they will never know you crash the aircraft because nick's latest plane tails scared the heck out of you <laughs> i hope that picture makes it clear what my question is pointing at on apg 283 you had uh, the recording of the atc controller asking if captain jeff was on board but your answers weren't heard on the frequency you guessed it was because the controller worked different frequencies During a college field trip to Eurocontrol in Maastricht, they told us whenever a controller is working more than one frequency, they mirror what they receive on one of these frequencies to the other frequencies. So everyone on one of the frequencies the controller is working will hear everything the controller hears. Why does the FAA not do this? And for our friends in London in the ATC there, um, do they do it too? Anyway, I got some Good news from my side. I passed my commercial multi-engine instrument check, instruments check ride about a week ago and will start MCC theory next Monday, August 14th. MCC stands for Multi-Crew Cooperation and it's a rating required to operate aircraft that require two pilots. Theory will take four days. The following week I will have six simulator sessions to complete the rating. After that I can apply to the airlines. Thanks for doing this great podcast and for creating the community. I can't wait for the Berlin meetup next month. Always happy landings, Fabian. By the way, that was a compliment for the really good plain tales, Nick. I really enjoy them. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I ever hear about a crash that's caused by one, I'll have to do a plain tale about it. <laughs> yes. Uh, and, well, I think the first thing we should do is uh, give him a big round of applause. Absolutely. Brilliant. For uh, accomplishing the the check ride successfully, and uh, that's awesome. So it won't be long at all before Fabian is part of the uh, world of why is this not stopping? Here we go. <laughs> well, he needs a big chair. Yeah, he does. An extra long uh, round of applause for Fabian. Um, so the uh, the next step is the uh, what do you call it? MCC multi crew. Collaboration or something? I thought just being part of the APG community would uh, automatically qualify you. You would think, that. yeah. But, uh, yeah. you know, Fabian, uh, you know, he's he's a typical uh, straight man when it comes to a comedy team there. <laughs> yeah, he's perfect, isn't he? <laughs> yes. By the way, that's something I never had to do. So it must have been introduced after I became an airline pilot. Yeah, they're, that's one of those things. That's that some... the reason why they introduced it. I was saying, says the man with the baseball bat. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So let's, uh, I'll start in the uh, order in which he asked the questions. I hope I get them all. Uh, the Bose A A20, I do have, I used to have the Bose X, but now it's the Bose A20, the newest one I got a few months back. And uh, I love it. And the noise reduction is awesome. And the, uh, you know, if you buy the one that has the Bluetooth uh, capability, which I have, and the only reason that I have it is so that I can connect my cell phone 
via Bluetooth and actually have a conversation with my dispatcher while I'm on the ground. The flight is not underway in any way, and I can just use my headset and and uh, headset microphone uh, through this thing, which works beautifully. And uh, I hear, I've read the instructions that say that you can use this to listen to music and uh, podcasts and that kind of thing through the Bluetooth capability. I'm not sure. People have told me in the general aviation world that it works like a charm. In fact, Dr. And Dr. Steph and I were talking about it before we started the recording today. And there is a switch here at the bottom uh, that allows you to uh, select either the Bluetooth off. You can go to the next position, which is mix, which uh, mixes whatever you have input either via Bluetooth or via a three and a half millimeter jack at the end of this thing. Uh, and it uh, doesn't when uh, air traffic control or it, any other signal is in your headset, it does not do anything to the other signal that's going on at the same time. But if you move this to the mute position, so if you're listening to music in your general aviation airplane and air traffic control uh, sends some kind of communication, whatever you're listening to, listening to will be muted. And I'm not sure if it stops at that point or if it just mutes the sound and then it brings it back up when it senses no other signal present. I'm not sure how it works. Uh, but um, so that's the way and that's my understanding how this A A20 works. And also your question about whether or not the signal that you're listening to in your headset is that somehow being recorded uh, on the uh, cockpit voice recorder. And uh, I'm pretty sure it is not in the signal, whatever thing you're listening to, whether it be via Bluetooth or the three and a half uh, millimeter stereo jack is only in your headset. It's not going into the aircraft system at all. So it's only into your ear cups. So if you're listening to plane tales and you crash the airplane, we'll never know. It'll be a mystery. So that's uh, my understanding of the way the A20 works, and it's a great headset. I highly recommend it. It is not cheap, but uh, as I mentioned before, the uh, Bose Aviation X, the original Bose Aviation headset, I had for 17 years, and it still works. It's just that it was showing some frayed wires and that kind of thing, and that was my excuse to buy a new one before uh, I retire. So this will take me through retirement and beyond. And, uh, and I love it. Uh, Bose makes some g great um, aviation headsets. Um, yeah. And I think most of the other uh, aviation headset manufacturers out there, the um, active noise reduction headsets, have the same kind of systems uh, in their uh, devices as well. You know, I heard something very interesting when I was uh, out on the motorcycle rally. I was talking to, uh, you know, how they have the ear molded uh, aviation headsets and you can use that type of a headset. Well, the guy said something to me very interesting. He said, um, active noise reduction raises your blood pressure. Pressure. I haven't been able to sit down and do the research on it, but I mean, I don't know if it's a selling point for him or whether it's a medical truth, but <laughs> you better to, yeah. Exactly. Um, Go ahead. Keep talking. Keep talking. Supposedly because of something with the frequency. I have no idea. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm a, a Sennheiser user. has an, a similar interface that you can plug in uh, versus a Bluetooth. When I fly general aviation, uh, and I'm not admitting this on air, but I've had the occasional use of uh, a Bluetooth uh, even in GA, you're not even supposed to use it. 
Um, oh, I think you can actually in GA. I think it's allowed. If it's through the intercom system, yeah, maybe. Mm-hmm. But yeah, certainly not in that cockpit. Uh, not it's not legal for us to, to use. And, and the only only way anything gets to the voice recorder is through the microphone. Now I wish the area microphone. If somebody out there listening can help me out, and I know it's probably not authorized, but remember I fly for Acme Airlines, and I believe that it's okay with Acme. Uh, I would love to have the ability to play something through my phone and actually play it through the PA system at the same time that I'm using my microphone on my headset. It's kind of like a mixer that I'm using right now for doing the show. And I could uh, have uh, like music playing in the back, not in the air, of course, but on the ground, like, uh, you know, have some some music in the playing in the background or some sound effects or whatever. I think that would be a lot of fun. But um, they don't make anything like that as far as I know. Probably not something that airline management would want me to use, <laughs> but I think it'd probably not be a lot of fun. Um, he talked about radio frequencies, and this is one of the things I, I think that all of us can agree to is maddening because a lot of times, especially like late in the day or early in the day, when air traffic control sectors are working multiple frequencies, um, and we don't know that they're working multiple frequencies. So we can hear the controller talking, but we cannot hear the response from whatever frequency they're working. And they sometimes seem to get a little impatient with us or frustrated when we happen to talk when somebody else is talking to them. But we can't <laughs> we, we can't hear the other frequency. So we don't know that somebody's talking on the other frequency. And Fabian, that that um, system that you were talking about over in uh, Germany or in Europe, where they, if they're working multiple frequencies, they're they have a system to project project uh, whatever is being transmitted on those other frequencies, so that you can hear it as well. That would be wonderful. I'm all for that. I I wish that we had that kind of a system here in the U.S. I don't know why we don't. I don't know if we don't have the capability to do that. I don't, I'm not sure why. Uh, but don't you guys agree, agree that uh, when they're mo- working multiple frequencies, uh, it's kind of frustrating? Well, I'll tell, I'll tell you this. I mean, it was very frustrating in Minneapolis today, uh, sitting there trying to get you, you, you contact uh, Clarence Livery for, uh, I think it's Clarence Livery, uh, for pushback to get your name in the hat. And then, of course, then they'll tell you to monitor the ground to tell you, you know, Cliff pushback or whatever. Well, today, it took us almost 10 minutes getting word in edgewise because the guy that was working clearance delivery and ground at the same time and he was going i mean when i say a mile a minute he was talking constantly and, and not not even taking a breath and every time he tried to get a, a, a word in edgewise uh he, he, he would just say hold on and, and would not even acknowledge it so the only reason why i knew it was the same guy is because i happened to have ground frequency turned on at the same time and i heard him working both of them at a major uh, major airport that should never be the case right they should have yeah, dedicated. That, that's always a worry. Uh, Jeff, the only thing I can see, and, I, and I'm in agreement, I'd love to hear what other people are saying uh, on the um, to the controller that I'm working. The only problem I can hear with that uh, or think of that is that um, it, it, sometimes ha- having con- constant RT um, can be a bit tiring. And if you're not trying to butt in all the time on your controller or get constant instructions, say you're like in the cruise, then uh, cutting out all those other aircraft transmissions that you don't really need to he- hear is much more uh, relaxing rather than having to have a, a radio in your ear that's going off all the time. That's true. Um, that would be my only thought there. 
Um, however, and I've also just pulled up a uh, an occupational health and safety website here, which says that in addition to hearing loss, prolonged exposure to noise, including low-frequency noise, is known to cause many detrimental physiological and psychological effects, including fatigue, anxiety, depression, loss of concentration, uh, or reduced productivity, headaches, and high blood pressure. So, so uh, this website is actually saying that uh, noise cancelling, because that's what it's specifically about, noise cancelling headsets reduces your blood pressure. Huh. Well, I'm taking my blood pressure right now just to see. Uh, of course, I'm not using noise reduction. So Do you have any? Um, uh, I do have blood pressure. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> yes, it's a good thing. I, I hear that it's good to have blood pressure, just not high blood pressure or low blood pressure. Um. Yeah, interesting. Um, I, I guess we'll have to do a little bit more research about that. I've never heard that, uh, Dana. Well, perhaps Dr. Steph could be put on the case. Oh. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And regarding the uh, – it seems to me – I don't know. I could be wrong about this. But most of the time in the world that Dana and I fly, the one the frequencies that have – the, the controllers that are doing multiple frequencies, it seems like most of the time it's not the high-altitude sectors, but the low, like, like the mid – the lower-level – center frequencies or even the approach frequencies, but I could be wrong about that. I don't know. Um, I think you're wrong. I'm, okay. I'm only, I'm only kidding. Well, I, I definitely could be wrong. I just asked my wife. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, bam. Oh, shoot. Okay, here we go. Speaking of blood pressure. Yes. Oh, Your wife. <laughs> okay. Uh, yes, sir. Are you going to say uh, some more? I was going to say, you know, I find that... Uh, it depends on the time of day, really. If it's early in the morning, late at night, uh, you'll find that uh, any any one of the uh, upper level, mid level, low level approach or tower, mm -hmm. they have a tendency of working multiple frequencies. It's just during the middle of days where it's really annoying. Yeah, and uh, they should have enough. They should hire enough people to work all those frequencies and not have to, you know, have one person working multiple frequencies. I mean, I, I feel sorry for the uh, controllers. You know, honestly. Anyway, um, let's see. And the other thing he was talking about was the Berlin meetup. Again, that's uh, what was it? September 12th, I believe. Is that right? Or no, the 21st. Do you remember the dates for uh, I wish Steph was still here uh, when they're going to have the uh, meetup in Berlin? I think that if you go to Slack, uh, let's see if I can find it here. Um, the Berlin meetup is Friday the 22nd. Oh, I just happened to find it, like right off the bat. Uh, Not even close, well, Jeff. Huh? You could say the twelfth, would you? I know. Well, days. that was that. That's when Nev is going to be in Dulles. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, yeah, not the twelfth. It's the twenty second. Uh, Friday the twenty second at Tillman's uh, Hotel, the Circus Hotel. And uh, so, if you want to uh, uh, join up in that meetup, I, I think that uh, it would be a blast. I wish I could be there. So uh, thanks for mentioning that, Fabian. And uh, let's see, any other questions that he asked there? Again, congratulations on your commercial multi-engine instrument check ride. Absolutely brilliant. Well done. Yeah, it's just a matter of time before it's going to be uh, pilot Fabian for some major uh, European carrier, I'm sure. That's really, really first cool. Off, first Officer Fabian, it rolls off the tongue. First Officer Fabian, just like First Officer Myla. Very cool. By the way, have you guys, um, uh, I think somebody sent in some feedback regarding this, um, and I'm sorry, I don't remember who it was, uh, but the uh, the EasyJet uh, documentary slash 
reality TV program going on uh, right now. Um, I believe, I don't know how many episodes they have in the can, but I just uh, was watching the second episode of it uh, on YouTube. I'm sure it was not a legal feed, but uh, uh, very interesting show. Have you been able to see any of that, uh, Captain Nick or Dana? Yeah, yeah, I've, I've watched them both. Uh, in fact, uh, just after my last trip, I landed back and uh, it was my sim, that's right. And uh, I thought, well, I've got to stay up a little bit, so uh, I shall watch that. And uh, I, I really enjoyed the first one. Second one, nah, not quite so much, uh, but uh, they seem to have found a, an amusing slant uh, on it. They're not taking themselves quite too seriously. So I, from that point of view, I think it's good. Yeah, it's been. Yeah. Thank you, Liz. It's called EasyJet Inside the Cockpit. And um, is that is that a BBC production? Uh, I have a feeling it's on Channel 4. So um, even on the BBC, most of the productions are actually done by independent, independent companies okay. and then, then, then the channel buys them. So. Okay. Yeah, I thought it's it's been uh, entertaining. Uh, and it's interesting to see... Um, you know, there's some uh, aspects that apply to all airlines around the world as far as, you know, yeah, you know, the first time that we land an airplane with passengers in it is the first time that we land an airplane with passengers in it, <laughs> regardless of your yeah. system and whether you've actually flown the airplane or just a simulator or not. Uh, in this case, EasyJet, I guess, takes them out on a what we used to call at Acme a bounce ride. But uh, we don't do that anymore. Our guys and gals are uh, not, um, you know, landing the real jet uh, in, until they're actually flying a a uh, revenue flight with passengers. So uh, it's a it's a interesting world out there. But uh, the last episode, uh, episode two. Focuses on this guy who's twenty years old, and I swear, I mean, he looks like he's still in high school to me. Very, very young. Yeah, yeah. He do, he does have the youthful look. Mind you, I was called boy pilot for the first two tours I was in the Air Force. <laughs> uh, so I know how that feels. Yeah. And it's just not fair, is it? By the way, I was listening to you guys talk about uh, doing um, a touch and goes uh, mm -hmm. on the last podcast. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, we do it slightly different. Uh, I like me red. Whoever's flying the airplane stays in uh, flying the aircraft. And uh, once you settle on, we don't arm the spoilers, just like you say, once we settle onto the runway, uh, the training captain says, stand them up. So you uh, stand the throttles up in the kind of uh, vertical position. And uh, he whacks the flap up a little bit and uh, checks that the aircraft uh, or trims it re-trims itself for takeoff if not he does it himself and uh, then he says toga and i think they just rotated a pretty standard sort of 160 knots ish uh, i'm trying to remember there, there's no i think there's any set speed because uh, uh you're well above a flying speed normally uh and once you got toga in the aircraft's going to accelerate like a dingback because you're not usually very heavy when you're doing base training yeah, there's no no passengers on board, just a few training right. students. And so there's quite a big rotate required and uh, an initial climb angle. And then um, pretty quickly wheeze off the, adult, uh, the throttle setting back to climb and then whack it downwind and away you go for the next one. So uh, I quite I quite enjoy uh, flying circus. We don't get to, to, go yet to do it normally. Now, is that something they're doing still Um at uh, your airline nope. as for the new no, people? No, it's yeah. all uh, zero flight sims now. So yeah. that means they can do everything that they need to yep. in the simulator. Yeah, same, same thing with Acme. Oh, well, the good old days, right? They were good old days. And, it was fun. Uh, 
an air, an airline not unlike mine. All the pilots that weren't actually in the flight deck um, doing their go, we used to get, uh, or they used to get. Not what normally I wouldn't do anything like this. Mm-hmm. They used to get food trays out, and uh, you start off on the in a good big long airplane. You, you've got a long aisle all the way down to the back, so you'd stand on a food tray, and as uh, the pilot at the front uh, rotated. Of course, the fuselage pitches up and accelerates uh, to about 15 degrees. You could surf all the way down the, on the carpet, <laughs> standing on a food tray, go whizzing past the seats, and then hopefully before you smack your face against the wall of the rear galley, he levels off. That's, that's the if you've done it right. Now, come on. You know that professional pilots like us would never, ever do anything like that. No, never. That's funny. Um, I can imagine that would be great fun, though. Oh, I would imagine it would be. (laughs) Sounds like a great time. If only we had the opportunity to do to do anything like that. (laughs) Were the aisles a little bit wider than they are now? Uh, no, the three, the three thirty-four. Uh, the sorry, the three forty-three hundred was uh, the one I remember because that's the only one I did, ever did base training in. Oh, they were they were pretty wide, so they were you know they twin aisle airplane and they they were good. <laughs> nice, See, wide enough to get your hips through without any problem at all. <laughs> that's funny. All right, well, uh, Fabian, uh, again, congratulations, and uh, we're uh, 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 eager to hear uh, about your your next um, uh, step in your journey. Um, Iowa Matt writes in. He says, "Hope this note finds you all well. I've been saving up some episodes lately for the drive across the country. They are a great way to keep me awake." Wow, that's a change. Usually, uh, Matt, <laughs> people <laughs> use it accused of the <laughs> to fall asleep. Yeah. Okay, uh, I wanted to share you uh, with you a couple photos from a recent flight I took on Kenmore Air in Seattle. It was a Father's Day, Father Day, Father's Day gift that I finally got to redeem after my most recent two knee surgeries. I got to sit at the right seat as an av geek. I was thrilled. I think I spent as much time looking inside as at the gorgeous San Juan Islands outside. Also, I wanted to see what a more modern cockpit than the Mad Dog has. Now that was that was a uh, uh, that was a what low blow, I guess. There, he sends a picture of an. I don't know. It looks to me like a the interior of a of a de Havilland uh, Beaver uh, aircraft. I'm not sure. I mean, can you guys, uh, based on the photo and the, uh, and the feedback, I know they fly, they fly beavers and otters and, um, caravans, but this, this cockpit looks, looks pretty old. And I'm thinking, um, if it is a beaver, nice beaver. Thank you. <laughs> I just had it stuffed. I'm thinking that it's a nice, nice beaver that you were flying there. That's uh, very cool. I'll put a, put the photo in the, um, in the show notes so you can take a look at the uh, interior of this uh, cockpit. But uh, Dana, do you think that it was a little bit of a low blow? He said that this is more modern than our cockpit. Yeah, I think it's a little bit of a low blow, especially looking at the, you know, that is a beaver's cockpit. Okay. Um, and uh, <clears throat> yeah, it has a throwover yoke. I don't know if you caught that. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, that's kind of a low blow. <laughs> yeah. But it's a great airplane. Uh, it's a great airplane. does does a fantastic job. It's you know flies in and out of some really remote locations with a lot of power. I think doesn't it have a PT six on the front of it. Uh, this one actually has a radial 
Um, it's radial. Yeah, it's the old. Uh, I don't know what what uh, you know model it is, but it's uh, it's a radial engine. They, in their uh, on their website, they talk about the fact oh, yeah, that they do radials. all their. Um, all their uh, uh, maintenance and overhaul and everything else. And they said that this is like one of their workhorses uh, in their fleet. And, uh, yeah, well, they are workhorses, that's for sure. But, well, I mean, I guess you could say the artificial horizon might be a little more modern. I'm not really. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, uh, they do have a GPS. Look at that. That looks like a GPS in there. Yeah, they have some kind of a modern something. In yeah, there, it looks but. like it looks like there's. A, I'm looking at the photo, and it looks like there's a, a GPS of some sorts in the photo. So maybe in that case, yeah, that's. A, but nice try, Matt. Our cockpit is more modern. And it's you're a not, Garmin. You're it's not a Garmin. Funny. So it's way more modern than us. Well, okay. That's okay. We'll move on because it he hurt my feelings. And uh, I'm not. I'm. I'm going to block Iowa Matt from ever sending anything. And I'm just no, kidding. You're not. <laughs> you're not mean. I know. I'm just kidding. Um, and I'm I'm not really hurt. I'm used to it. Look at this crew that I have to work with. They give me crap all the time. I know. We both shaved at the same time. It's pretty. It's pretty yeah, serious. Had nothing to do with the show. I'm sure. No. Uh, Len writes. Hi, APG crew. Greetings from sunny Vietnam. By pure coincidence, I heard George Nolly's feedback in my hotel room in Da Nang. Of course, George Nolly was talking about that, you know, how uh, he, the one of the scariest moments that he had, and he was talking about his experience uh, flying the, um, oh, the, 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 the push pole, the Skymaster, I forgot what they call it in the Air Force, but... Uh, oh, two or something. Oh, two, yeah, something like that. And uh, how he kind of just pulled it, pulled it straight, you know, vertical and kicked in the rudder and avoided... Oh, the Box Canyon yeah. Maneuver. Exactly. So anyway, that's the uh, piece of feedback that uh, Len is talking about. And uh, of course, George was talking about um, executing this maneuver in Vietnam. And uh, so anyway, he was listening to it while he was in Da Nang. He, has, he includes a picture of uh, the uh, of the uh, ocean front here. And it's beautiful. I mean, it, all, it reminds me of, you know, the, the look in Hawaii, uh, Waikiki and the diamond head in the background. Not quite. Uh, but very, very similar. Beautiful, uh, beautiful shot. Thank you for sending that in, Len. Um, anyway, he said, uh, I have a, uh, attached a picture of the southern flank of the Monkey Mountain Peninsula. Oh, so that's what we're looking at here in the picture. The Monkey Mountain Peninsula, where where uh, George uh, did his maneuver. Uh, having flown into DAD several times recently, I can vividly picture George's George's experience. What a great escape. If they haven't been covered already, perhaps a story of a forward air controller would make for an interesting Plane Tales episode. Okay, there you go. Some more ideas for Plane Tales. Like you need any more, Captain Nick. But uh, uh, Yeah, I always need more. Awesome. He says, thanks for the great show. Cheers. LOL. That's cool. He calls himself Len on Len Tao uh, or LOL, not laugh out loud. So anyway, that was uh, some cool feedback from len um uh-oh looks like the hotel is still on fire <laughs> oh, sorry, I'll mute out for no 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 it's it's nice i like hearing all that stuff it's <laughs> interesting to to hear uh what's going on when we when we're recording the shows uh let's see captain ian uh says dear all firstly as a newcomer to your dulcet tones 
Uh, may I congratulate you all in a pensive chin stroking way on a wonderful series of podcasts, which now make my all too frequent journeys to Heath Robinson International all the more bearable. Did I pronounce that correctly, sir? Yeah, that's good. You know, Heath Robinson, he was a quite a famous uh, artist uh, around the time of the uh, Second World War who was famous for doing intricate cartoons about improbable machines that uh, used to all be connected by wire and string. Oh, so, uh, yeah. We have something well, like Rube Goldberg or something like that is maybe the same kind of thing over here in the, okay, in the U.S. So in, in England, if something, or in the U.K., if something is Heath Robinson-ish, it means it's it's a bit crazy and unlikely to work. <laughs> That's the same way we use uh, the name Rube, um, Rube Goldberg. Uh, isn't, isn't that right, Dana? I think. Uh, I'll have yeah. to look that up. I think, it's, I think it's Rube Goldberg. Yeah. But I've never heard he, Heathrow called that. I love that. I'm going to have to start doing that. <laughs> Uh, so he goes on, uh, may I be so bold as to ask one introductory question and place it on the altar of aviation godliness? <laughs> well, this is the wrong episode or the, the wrong podcast, Ian. Uh, the question being aimed at my ancient pastor rambling countryman, Captain Nick. Has he in the past been a commentator? Sorry, had to put it that way to satisfy my solanum tuberosum fetish potato. Uh, at any of our wonderful UK air shows over the years for his melodious patter is remarkably familiar. Uh, having many years ago been brought up on the soothing muses of Raymond Baxter of Fambra fame and Roger Hoffling at Mildenhall, his tones rekindle vague memories of air shows elsewhere. My IPA and cosmic ray addled brain cells may well be sending me on Boston area style vectors, i.e. miles away from the intended destination. But if you could answer my query, I would be eternally or possibly at least for a day or two very grateful. What is your answer, Captain Nick? Well, I'm very sorry. I'm very sorry to say that no, I do not tread the uh, the path of the international or found any air shows. Uh, I did once do a little bit of commentating at an RAF Valley Open Day, which is you know little more than uh, you know flying local. Uh, allowing all the locals onto the airbase and uh, having a few visiting aircraft in. So we used to uh, we used to have that, but uh, no, no, I'm afraid not. Uh, all, all this uh, recent aviation chit chat has been brought about by the APG. I, I have no other history. I'm we sorry. apologize for that. Yes, <laughs> you'll never be forgiven. <laughs> he says, I look forward to your, to future ramblings in your upcoming podcasts. And thank you once again from the civilized side of the Atlantic for your weekly aviation poetry. Toodle pip, he says, uh, Captain Ian, left hand seat for Acme Red, White and Blue Airways, A318, 319, 320, 321 and possibly 350. In the next year or two, an X of the Boeing 757677 perish. So Captain Ian is a, uh, a well-traveled, uh, well-qualified um, uh, airline pilot, obviously, having flown many different types. And uh, let's see, Acme Red, White, and Blue. I can think of one airline that may fit that description. Yeah, I think that'll be Nev's favorite airline. Yeah, or... It could be now. Is he over there in? Um, huh. Okay, that could be. So would that would that work out with all those airplane types? 
Uh, yeah, pretty sure. Yeah, they uh, they probably in the past had seven five seven sixes. Definitely, they've certainly got seven sevens. What about the three fifty? The whole family of uh, Airbuses, and uh, are they? I don't know if they're getting three fifties or not. So, yeah, uh, I'm I'm not quite sure. Um, I've I've, but I think that's a good guess on your part. Anyway, uh, Ian, uh, I hope you, you do end up with 350s. I think out of that uh, pretty impressive uh, list of airliners, uh, you're going to love the 350. From what I hear of it, uh, it's going to be a super airplane to fly. And going on with a little bit further down the list here, Captain Ian also sent in some feedback uh, that I think that would be uh, uh, there will be some interesting discussion about. Uh, he says, greetings again from good old Blighty. I think you're you're right. I, I was thinking that maybe he was on this side of the pond, but apparently he's not. Reference your discussion on irritating fingerprints on the screens. I have a few more complaints. Far be it for me to whinge as I am from Acme Sky God status, but the following really get on my tits or some other similar statement of aggravation. Number one, stupid, stupid comments on autopilot disengagement, such as motion coming on. Or my all-time favorite, this is me, for who else is it likely to be for fee, fee, fee? No, I can't say it, sake. Is it, am I pronouncing that correct? Is it fee, 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 or fee, fee, fee? I'm I've never heard not that. certain of the yeah. reference, tell the truth, so I can't comment. Okay. Similar comments like shields up when putting on the engine anti-ice also count <laughs> so we <t> <laughs> sounds like something that millennium generation are going to start doing yeah Although my father used to complain when one of his first daughters said hey daddy oh time to dangle the dunlops oh boy yes <laughs> yeah I, i've probably been known to say something stupid like that occasionally <laughs> Uh, let's see. Number two, a real bugbear, but, and I'm afraid captain Jeff, that it's your countrymen that are the culprits is calling Heathrow holding beacon Bovington, not its proper name. It's Bovington with a D or calling the VOR Dean's cross, the cross. It's only you guys that do it. Why? And I, uh, the only thing I can come up with is it must be the same reason that I hear people here in my country pronouncing India Sierra Oscar pronounced Kingston when the actual navigate is Kinston, Kinston, North Carolina. Uh, uh, instead of saying Spartanburg, they say Spartansburg. They put an S in there, which is not right. Or they leave the S out of Collier, VOR, which is Augusta, Georgia. They say Collier's and it's not, it's Collier. It's just like, come on, get it right, people. <laughs> I'm probably one of the only ones out there that really cares about that kind of thing, but uh, it bugs me too. Pronounce it right. Um, well, Bostonians attend a terrible putting letters where they shouldn't be. Yeah, like adding R to everything at the end when there is no yeah. R there. Or dropping a letter. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Anyway. Awesome. Uh, yep. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's only to say that I do the same thing when I'm flying an airplane. Well, you shouldn't. It's Collier's. No, it's not. Yeah, you're right. It is Collier's. But it's but, not what it says on the chart. It's Collier's. No, no. Oh, that's right. Wait a minute. And now I'm getting confused. No, it is Collier's. It is within us. Collier is not the correct one. So you're saying it correctly, believe it or not. 
but uh, Spartansburg is not right, and Kingston is not right either, unless you're going to Jamaica. Kingston. Kingston. You got it. Yeah. And Spartanburg. There you go. That sounds good to me. That. But that's, I put an H in there. Spartan. That's That sounds perfectly fine to me. I'm, 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 that's all acceptable. Okay. Uh, number three, those people that keep their intercom on when eating. Now, this is not something that I can relate to because we don't use intercoms. Uh, at least on the airplanes that I've flown so far at Acme, um, uh, we did in the uh, in the one in the Air Force in the 141. But um, you know you couldn't hear anything anyway. But he says those people that keep their intercom on when eating, grr, I really don't want to hear your finest rump steak being chewed within an inch of its life. Just like you don't want to hear the contents of my nasal passages being extruded into the nearest receptacle. Don't do it. <laughs> Uh, do you use the intercom uh, hot, uh, like a hot um, intercom, uh, Captain Nick? No, no, we don't. Okay. Uh, the uh, our aircraft are being airbuses so are quiet enough just to have a yeah. casual conversation. Okay, and yours are pretty quiet too. Yeah, they're 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 relatively quiet up front, uh, so we don't have to. I'm sorry use to say something. Yeah, I can't hear anything. Uh huh. What? <laughs> exactly what? Huh. Uh, let's see. Number four. I think you mentioned this previously, but why do friends at dinner parties have to recount every single awful airline experience as if it is your entirely your fault? And he puts in all caps. It's not my fault. <laughs> yes, yeah, we have I, talked. I've, I've stopped telling people what I do now. I know. It's just, just like sometimes I say I'm a, I travel in aluminum tubing. <laughs> I'm in the transportation industry. I, I say I'm in high speed aluminum tubing top secret government project they can't tell you about it otherwise they have to kill you chemtrails um the wonderful uh balrock uh youtube video living the dream covers many of our daily irks really well and i recommend this to your apgers for those who haven't seen it but i was curious as to my fellow apg skippers thoughts on these and their own personal gripes uh any more dislikes on your part fellow skippers oh dirty flight decks Geez, guys, yeah. you know, when you get off the flight deck, if you've had a meal all over the center console, give it a bit of a wipe down for heaven's sake. Uh, and uh, not only fingerprints on the screens, but forehead smears and nose smears on the on the glass. Oh, it's disgusting. Yeah, uh, I've noticed this a lot more lately, uh, Dana. Maybe you have as well, uh, and maybe it's just the new generation of pilots. But cockpits are are. I'm getting into a cockpit that somebody else just left, and the trash can is still there. Uh, there are used uh, water bottles, empty water bottles, like in the you know the places where you keep your water bottles when they're full or when you're using them during a flight. I mean, it just. Stuff like that. It's just like no respect for the people that are going to be occupying your place of work when you leave it is just uh, wrong. Yeah, I'm not someone who neatly folds the lap straps, you know, and uh, buckles up the harness. Yeah, I don't care about that either. No, but uh, I, I try and make sure all the lights turn out, all the switches are left in the right position. Uh, you know, I pull the screens down if it's a hot day. Just do something nice uh, so the next guy's come onto a comfortable flight deck and doesn't feel like it's, uh, you know, half a trash heap. But, uh, yeah. Um, I mean, the standard thing for us was always to put in, like, uh, in Atlanta, 16.9, you know, the, the VOR, you know, because that's something that we uh, manually put in and then go from your your bug for the 200 uh, uh you know the category one 
uh, decision altitude and move it to the field elevation because that's a nice reference for us when we're taking off uh, to know when we're a thousand feet above the field elevation and just standard stuff that we've been doing for years and years uh common courtesies i guess you'd call it and uh, they don't seem to be common anymore no, no, that's exactly right. And the other one that really gets me, it won't be uh, a, a problem anymore, but uh, in the days when we used to have uh, big heavy manuals with those big metal clips on them, guys would throw them up onto the, uh, onto the glare shield uh, combing and slide them down onto the glass uh, because they permanently scratch and that airplane's going to be on your fleet for 25 years or twice that if it's a mad dog and that scratch is going to be there and annoy the pilots for generations after so don't throw your bloody manuals up onto the uh the combing right dana any pet peeves because dana's eating his curried uh cauliflower <laughs> salad right now <laughs> i'm not chewing on anything okay sure <laughs> I actually had a fig in my mouth. I didn't think you could hear that. Get that fig out of your mouth. You had a pig. You had a pig in your mouth. <laughs> okay. Well, let's. I actually uh, thought I was on mute. So, uh, no. Uh, my biggest pet peeve, captains. No, I'm like. Um, <laughs> captains are your biggest pet peeve. Just keep that baseball bat handy. I was talking yeah. about the intervention training we were getting at uh, Acme Red, uh, and uh, we don't train our guys to use baseball bats. We get special training on baseball bats, and now I'm fully qualified to have my little Louisville Slugger bat. <laughs> yeah. But I have to make sure that that's in my uh, flight kit. Next time you fly with Dana, for sure. Absolutely, for Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. No, uh, you know, it, you you said it. I mean, the, the trash bag number one. Uh, don't leave me your your, your empty receptacles. Um, mm -hmm. And you know, you, you kind of allude to some of the things that are common courtesy. Well, you know, Atlanta, how about setting up a frequency? Yeah. You know, we know what the ground frequency, you know, you pull into the gate, you see where the airplane's going. So you you pretty much have a good idea what's north or south ground frequency yeah. and departure frequencies. And the other thing is, well, you know, very common is take take off flex 50, right? Mm -hmm. So do that. And then, then oh, my personal take Above and beyond. Yeah, my personal technique is always swap out the databases so I erase everything that's in the FMS. Oh, that's nice. But, you do actually go above and beyond. That's great. Well, you know, I think about these things, but, you know, just don't leave it a mess. I mean, why people have to touch the, you know, artificial horizon or the navigation display or why they have to touch the altimeter or why they have to touch the FMA with their fingers is beyond me. I think it's we're living a world now that everything's touch screen, and then they go, oh, oh, that's right, there's nothing to touch there. Yeah, but if you accidentally do it, like clean it up, you know. Clean we don't up. want to look it's at your stinking fingerprints. Yep. Okay. Uh, let's see. Anyway, but, toodle. But before you, hey, before you go on any further, my biggest pet peeve mm -hmm. is when I go to the men's room in the crew lounge, and people go in there, do their thing, and don't wash their hands when they come out of the. Oh, I know. Don't get me started on that. Yeah, and then 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 I'm thinking, okay, well they're going flipping all these switches in the cockpit. Mm -hmm. Most of you already know that I have a, a condom on my remote control. <laughs> now I'm thinking about these same people going to the bathroom, not washing their hands, and going in the cockpit and flipping all the switches. I know. Or you you know you meet the guy and you shake hands. You know he just uh, well let's not not get into detail, but that's just wrong. Wash your hands, you idiots. And uh, the other thing that gets me is the guys that are in the bathroom sitting on the toilet on their phone. And then all you can hear in the background is 
flushing toilets and people grunting and everything else. I'm thinking, really? You're really sharing that with the person that you're talking to on the other end of the phone? Really? Is well, the phone right, call? The person on the other end of the phone is probably on the toilet as well. Well, maybe so. I don't know. I just think that is wrong. Don't do it. <laughs> don't do it, please. Uh, you know, at least you could do is just text. Yeah, or I just, one, hey, I have an idea. Why don't you just, like, put the phone down, keep it in your pocket or whatever, and then do your thing in the bathroom. And then when you're out of the bathroom, then you can. It's dead time. All that wasted time. Oh, God. Well, you know, the funny part is when you, you hear the person, you know, getting off the uh, commode, and the next thing you know, you clunk, plop. Yeah. And the next thing the person's mouth is. Oh, crap. No, that's another another good reason not to be using your device. <laughs> yes, yeah, so you're not dropping it in the commode. Exactly. <laughs> All right. With that, I, th- I think now it's time for some sanity and uh, the uh, very enjoyable, entertaining installment of this week's uh, Plain Tales. So take it away, old curmudgeon. The old pilot's plain tales, eating the sun. The Bata Maliba people of Tongo and Benin in Africa have a myth that the sun and moon fight. But when the two merge, it is a time to stop fighting and resolve old feuds and anger. In many countries, myths have evolved to explain the magical disappearance of the sun during an eclipse. It may have been eaten by a dragon, a dog, or even a toad. Whatever the ancient explanations, I wonder what would have come from the minds of our ancestors had the event been coincident with a resounding, deep, booming, thunderous noise that shook their houses and clapped the ears, not once, but twice. America has just experienced a total eclipse of the sun, and it was celebrated with quiet awe and cheering exuberance in equal amounts. But over the deserts of North Africa on the 30th of June 1973, a completely different and never-to-be-repeated sound effect accompanied the moon's shadow as it raced across the continent. By any measure, the supersonic airliner Concorde was a marvel of engineering and aerodynamic design. A collaborative project between British and French aircraft manufacturers, it was first conceived in 1955 when the Royal Aircraft Establishment formally looked at the possibility. Initially, it seemed to be an unsolvable dilemma, since the aircraft appeared to need an enormous amount of fuel, vast runway lengths, and eye-wateringly fast approach speeds. However, a team of three RAE engineers, Johanna Weber, Dietrich Kutcherman, and Eric Maskell, who understood three-dimensional flow separation, came up with the slender delta wing design that would change the entire nature of supersonic design almost overnight. The creation of a low-pressure vortex over a long slender delta wing would provide the lift required to lower takeoff and landing speeds. Indeed, the Handley Page test aircraft, the HP-115, would ultimately demonstrate safe control speeds as low as 60 knots. 
It was the wing plan form, an ogival delta, which follows the shape of a Roman OG arch that cured many of the problems encountered during the design development, such as the enormous centre of pressure movement on the wing throughout the aircraft's speed range. Look at the aircraft's plan form to see the beauty of the wing's shape as it transitions from the straight fuselage side into a concave curve which then smoothly reverses into a convex curve eventually to end up again parallel to the fuselage. The centre of pressure, the point through which the sum of the lift can be thought to act, still moved around two metres in relation to the centre of gravity as the aircraft transitioned to supersonic flight, so fuel was pumped aft at the same time to keep Concorde in trim. Four of the mighty Rolls-Royce Olympus engines from the Vulcan were chosen to power the Concorde, albeit they were reheated for takeoff and to overcome the transonic drag rise as the aircraft accelerated to supersonic flight. A complex system of intake ramps and spill doors controlled the air entering the intakes and splitter doors kept the intakes separate. Once above Mach 1.7, the aircraft could cruise relatively economically, but at lower levels, the nature of the turbojets made them quite inefficient, particularly while taxiing to the runway, when up to 2% of the aircraft's fuel could be consumed. As a result, a high level of cooperation was needed at the airports that operated the Concorde, so that no taxiing delays occurred. It would be hard to list all of the firsts that the Concorde introduced to the world of civil aviation, but here are a few. It had a full fly-by-wire control system, albeit analogue, as was the engine control, a predecessor of the modern FADEC digital engine control systems commonplace today. Its ability to supercruise in dry power above Mach 1.7 was essential, as in reheat the fuel consumption was pretty high. Previously, only advanced military aircraft had been capable of supersonic cruise without the use of afterburners. The Concorde's autopilot allowed hands-off control throughout the flight envelope, and the autothrust was particularly valuable, since the approach was made well on the wrong side of the drag curve, and accurate throttle handling was very important. At low speed and high angle of attack in the landing phase, if the aircraft slowed, its drag would increase rapidly, causing the speed to reduce even further. This made speed control unstable, and if this tendency wasn't caught early, it was easy for the speed to drop to dangerous levels. The Mach 2.02 speed limit was mainly due to the heating effect of air compression on the outer surfaces. The majority of the aircraft was made of an advanced aluminium alloy called Hydominium, RR58, which could operate up to temperatures as high as 127 degrees centigrade. The increase in temperature caused the airframe to expand by up to 30 centimetres, it's nearly a foot. To keep the cabin cool, fuel was used as a heat sink for the air conditioning as well as the hydraulic system. The aircraft's paint scheme was also limited as it needed a highly reflective white finish which reduced the skim temperature by as much as 11 degrees centigrade. Due to its high cruising levels, the flight deck was also fitted with a radiometer to measure the levels of ionizing radiation. 
During periods of high solar activity, the cruise level was sometimes limited to as low as 47,000 feet. Construction was started in 1965, and the two prototypes, 001 and 002, flew in 1969. Before long, the aircraft was flying around the world on sales tours, and it commenced its first scheduled service early in 1976. But the flight I'm interested in occurred nearly three years earlier. In 1973, there was going to be a very special solar eclipse. Due to a combination of geometric effects, on the 30th of June, the total eclipse that was going to occur would last 7 minutes and 4 seconds. Such long eclipses are rare, the previous similar one having been in 1098, and there wasn't going to be another one along until 2150. An eclipse gives a rare chance to observe the sun's corona, the tendrils of gas that dance around the sun's outer atmosphere. But the time is usually too short to establish patterns of movement or make truly detailed analysis. Independently of each other, astronomers in both France and the UK saw the arrival of this new marvel of the sky and the upcoming eclipse as a wonderful coincidence. Following an eclipse with an aircraft wasn't a new idea by any means, but in Concorde, flying at Mach 2, the window of opportunity for them to observe the eclipse would be extended from 7 minutes to a luxurious 70 minutes, and high in the atmosphere there would be no chance of pesky clouds getting in the way. Approaches were made to use the British prototype 002 as well as the French 001. The British turned down the request, but Pierre Lina took the proposal direct to André Turcat, the first test pilot to fly a Concorde. Turcat was curious, and over lunch in Toulouse, Pierre sketched out his idea on a napkin. The plan was deceptively simple. Closing in at maximum velocity, Concorde would swoop down from the north and intercept the shadow of the moon over northwest Africa. Travelling together at almost the same speed, they would essentially race the solar eclipse across the surface of the planet, giving astronomers an unprecedented opportunity to study the various phenomena only visible during an eclipse. The ethereal solar corona, the effect of sunlight on the darkened atmosphere and the brief red flash of the chromosphere, a narrow region around the sun that is usually washed out by the much brighter photosphere. Turcat was impressed and he took the idea to his bosses at Aerospatiale, who, perhaps surprisingly, gave the go-ahead, agreeing to absorb the costs. Hardly expecting such cooperation, the astronomers had surprisingly little time to work out the details of what experiments to take. Meanwhile, Concorde 001 had to be modified with four observation windows in the roof and support frames to carry the various sensors and cameras. Five teams were offered the chance to participate. The French Institute of Astrophysics, Kitt Peak National Observatory, Los Alamos National Laboratory, Queen Mary University of London and the University of Aberdeen. 
With four months to go, the final permissions were obtained and the researchers rushed into their final preparations. In the meantime, the crew of 001 were busy planning. Turcat decided that the Grand Canaries Las Palmas airport would be a good launch point, and they would intercept the moon's shadow over Mauritania and follow it as far as their landing point at Fort Leamy in Chad. John Beckham recalled his excitement at being given the chance to join the teams. I was absolutely ecstatic and a bit worried, he recalled. For one thing, the time was short. I had the basic equipment, of course, which was a Mickelson interferometer with a helium-cooled detector, but I didn't have the infrastructure to link to Concord and track the eclipse path. There was no time to automate it. Instead, Beckman devised a way to track the eclipse manually. At last, the preparations were complete and the scientists assembled on board. At exactly 10.08 in the morning, Turcat spooled up the four Olympus turbojets and engaging the afterburners roared down the runway at Las Palmas. Thousands of miles to the east, the moon's shadow was leaving South America and racing across the Atlantic towards Africa. A few minutes after takeoff, the aircraft passed Mach 1 and climbing into the stratosphere, they levelled at 56,000 feet and easily accelerated to Mach 2. Despite their practice runs, the atmosphere on board was tense as the teams prepared their equipment and the flight crew worked to perfect their timing to intercept the course. Using the twin inertial platforms, they followed a carefully planned trajectory to merge with the shadow. Their calculations worked perfectly and they arrived under the eclipse within a second of the expected time. The chase was on. Alone in the Mauritanian sky, they hurtled along the path of totality. Under the four specially constructed apertures, the astronomers concentrated on their observations. One team devoted their efforts on detecting dust particles left over from comets in the solar halo, attempting to determine if there was a ring or sphere of them around the sun. Another used a side porthole to watch the effects produced by the sudden darkness on oxygen atoms in the Earth's atmosphere, whilst a veteran American airborne eclipse chaser Donald Leibenberg looked up at the eclipse to measure pulsations in light intensity. Beckman was very busy, but he did recall having time to glance out of the side window at one point and see the edge of the umbra, the penumbra, and the daylight beyond. He was also able to gaze up at the corona, and as the limb of the moon slowly occulted the solar disk, he saw the chromosphere, which flashed out in bright red alpha light. Concord could have kept going, but the landing site at Chad was approaching fast. Turcat turned south out of the darkness and descended towards the runway. The landing was a little tense, as the runway was barely long enough and Turk had only had a few metres of tarmac left when he stopped the aircraft. They all stepped off and into a surreal scene of half-light, as the sun was still partially eclipsed. Armoured cars moved amongst the people, as a rumoured coup d'etat had been timed to occur during the eclipse. People in the street gazed at the sun through pieces of smoked glass and children threw stones into the air to chase away the creature that had tried to devour it.
in one flight. The remarkable capabilities of Concorde had been demonstrated and the mission was a testament to the way that scientific inquiry leads to innovation. Nowadays, satellites can create artificial eclipses and permanently study our nearest star. At the time, however, knowledge of the solar corona was very, very limited. Planned Concorde eclipse flights in 2001 were cancelled following the tragic crash of Flight 4590 just after takeoff from Paris on the 25th of July 2000. Shortly after, the fleet was grounded, never to fly again. Now, the elegant sweeping lines of Concorde's beautiful wing can only be seen in aircraft museums. And should you visit the Air and Space Museum at Le Bourget, you can see the exact aircraft that chased the eclipse in 1973, complete with the special roof portholes and the mission logo on the fuselage. Very cool. I told you we were going to talk more about the eclipse. That was... Yeah, uh, had I realized, I didn't think I'd have done that subject. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it was uh, in keeping with um, you know the post-eclipse... Um, I don't know. Whatever. Post-ecliptic theme. theme. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I'm not a wordsmith. Um, but it gave me. How, how I was the eclipse? Do, yeah. Sorry. I was never going to do a plain tale about Conquest. It's just too well known. But it gave me an mm -hmm. opportunity just to uh, cover a little bit about it, which I thought was. I nice. found that very interesting. See, I never knew that the uh, the Concord did that that did that chase and and. Uh, it's it's amazing that they were able to get that through. Absolutely, and uh, so soon after it, actually, uh, you know, it wasn't it wasn't even on operational uh, flights with airlines. Uh, so you know, I was quite amazed that they were carving holes in their prototypes. At that's that point. that's the thing that really amazed me is that they put in yeah. those four uh, portholes in the ceiling of the uh, jet. Yeah, well, it can't have been cheap because the materials they had to use were, you know, had to be able to withstand uh, over 100 degrees uh, centigrade and also stay optically perfect. So they must have devoted quite a bit of time and effort. And uh, more of the story involves the um, the amount of equipment that they actually flew into Africa to uh, support the mission. They had spare engines and uh, all sorts had been uh, sent down there. So uh, they, there was a a number of aircraft, not just Concorde, <laughs> as well. Wow, quite an undertaking. And that was all donated. Uh, absolutely, yeah. I was, wow. You know, decided that it would be a good PR for the uh, aircraft, and uh, they they pay for it all. Wow. Amazing! That's amazing. Great story. Absolutely amazing. All right, uh, Jeff. Did you make it down? Uh, did you make it over to South Carolina for the uh, eclipse? Uh, yes, uh, we talked about that at the beginning of the show. I actually, did a special eclipse episode uh, published yesterday, and uh, so we talked about the experience that we uh, that we had there and uh, had a great great time. Yep. And uh, I just sorry, how your make butt it. was. My butt was just beautiful, was and the smoked pork that I uh, prepared in the big green egg was. As, was good as well. That's what I was talking about, actually. Oh, I just, just want to know if it was moist. <laughs> uh, <laughs> are you butt. are you asking if my mo my butt was moist? 
Yes. Uh, at one point it was. Out of your butt. <laughs> but now it's all dry. Did you bone in? Did you put a bone in your butt? Okay, let's move on. Let's move on. No. <laughs> bone in. Bone in. So did your bone come out clean? Oh, yeah. Gosh. All right. Did a great ah, as Matt says, Matt Smith always likes to say, family show, family show. Let's move on. We're talking about pork butt here. Yes, of course we are. Anything else other than a pork butt. All right. Uh, Charles writes in, thought you guys might appreciate this photo I took in Detroit, especially Captain Nick. Enjoy. And uh, there's a picture here uh, out the window at the Acme um terminal in Detroit and uh, shows a picture of the uh, Airbus 350 at the gate and behind it taxiing by from left to right is the uh, queen of the skies the 747-400 and uh, he wrote in his uh, tweet a truly special photo her majesty the queen of the skies Boeing 747 taxis by as her brand new week old replacement the Airbus A350, and when he, uh, when I say weak, I mean W-E-E-K. That's what he wrote here, not W-E-A-K. Uh, parks at the gate next to her. It is the end of an aviation era, but also the beginning of a new and exciting one. So uh, thanks for sending that in, Charles, and taking that photo. Yeah, I always like to see pictures of the Dowager Duchess. Okay, and uh, <laughs> excuse me. You're choking me up. Um, Mike Smith from Maynard Mass uh, sent in a link uh, from a video that he produced, and it uh, has to do with this year's visit to the EAA Air Venture 2017 in Oshkosh. And uh, and it's, uh, it has a, a music soundtrack, so listening to it on an audio podcast uh, would be, uh, you know, fruitless um so you should take a look at it uh the link to the video uh the youtube video will be in the show notes so thank you mike for pointing us in that direction uh stefan says hi captain jeff and the apg crew stefan cordery here from the uk i'm a relatively new listener of two or three months now just stopping by to say that i love the show and wanted to leave my first audio feedback and so he uh showed me how to gain access to his audio and i have it so stefan your first audio feedback is playing on the apg right now so hello to captain jeff captain nick first officer dana and of course uh, dr steph uh stefan from red hill as in red hill aerodrome in the uk by catwick airport just got back from a flying lesson and thought i'd leave my first audio feedback uh, as a as a thanks really because I've been well and truly hooked on uh, APG now for a good few months and um, to satisfy my craving I've been going back over old episodes but really really enjoy the show and um, yeah I just wanted to, to uh, share a story with you which you might like which is I, I did my first solo uh, two or three no, four or five lessons ago and it was a uh, great fun went really well it was a bit of a shock when the instructor said you know I'm gonna I'm gonna get out now how do you feel and I was like okay yeah, let's do this. But uh, the lasting memory was the last thing he said to me before I got out of the aircraft, and that was, if it doesn't look right, just go around. And a, a smile came to my face as that song started playing in my head. And uh, from that day on now, uh, whenever I'm flying circuits or I'm coming into land, I can't help but hum to myself in my head. I'm not sure if the instructor knows that I'm doing that, but uh, yeah, it's uh, definitely a chuckle when I'm flying. But yeah, absolutely love the show. 
Um, can't wait for the next one. And uh, I hope there's a, a meetup in the UK at some point. And um, just wanted to say thank you and blue skies, tailwinds and lashings of IPA. Uh, Stefan from Redhill. See you later. Thank you, Stefan, for that. And I tried to do something, uh, routing some sound around, but it don't. I don't think it came through. So what I was trying to play during your wonderful first audio feedback was, of course, the uh, the lovely tune that we like to listen to. And it's uh, entitled Go Around. You can always go around if it don't Awesome. Thank you, Stefan. Uh, congratulations on your first solo. Absolutely. And uh, welcome to the community. Now, when I played uh, the go around before, did you hear anything at all? No. Okay. I didn't either. <laughs> yeah. Well, I paused it to play the go around audio clip, and I'm thinking, okay, I'm not hearing anything in my headphones. And. I thought, okay, let's uh, resume his audio, and then I'll just play it a different way. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, probably we'll leave all this in, all the <laughs> all the ugliness. Uh, let's see. So uh, thanks again, Stefan. Uh, welcome to the community, and uh, uh, congratulations on your first solo, and you'll have to keep us apprised as to your progress in your aviation journey. All right. Uh, Willem says... Uh, I hope all is well. I just booked uh, out of the blue a ticket with Iceland Air to visit Washington, D.C. for a couple of days. Any chance there is a meetup somewhere uh, near the weekend of 1-2-3 September? Kind regards, Willem. Now, I'm not planning any meetup in Washington, D.C. on the 1st, 2nd, and 3rd of December or September. I don't know, uh, Nick, what your schedule is like. I don't think you're going to be in uh, in uh, D.C., are you? Uh- the beginning of September, I'm in San Francisco. Oh, it's not even close. Not even close. Dana, are you going to be in the D.C. area? No, I am not in the D.C. area. I'm in the ah. D.C. area tomorrow, but I'm not going to. I was thinking about doing a meetup. I'm not going to. Okay. Well, tell you what. Uh, if anybody is listening to this right now, I mean, we're toward the end of August, so it's going to be tight. But uh, if you happen to be in the uh, D.C. area or you're listening to I know we have APG uh, community members in the D.C. area. Uh, so if you want to, uh, have some sort of a meetup somewhere, contact me and then I'll, uh, get you in touch with Willem and, uh, you guys can, uh, talk aviation and drink beer and eat good food and all that kind of jazz jazz. I know Nev's going to DC, but I don't know exactly when uh, that's going to, I know that one 12th and 13th, actually he's like the 12th through the 15th, but I think the days that he's available for, uh, a meetup would be like the 12th or the 13th. I think he's coming in on the 12th. And so like the evening of the 12th and sometime during the 13th would be oh, yeah, best for be, Nev. Uh, back here at grandma's house. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, that's a, a call out to anybody out there that uh, might be interested in meeting up in the DC area. Uh, I know there are a bunch of great guys uh, and gals up there in D.C. Um, oh, I don't know if you saw this. Captain Jeff um, sent this in to us. Uh, the other Captain Jeff. Um, last time it was in the main gear well. This guy was up in the nose gear well. My guess, E&E compartment is just aft, and that kept the well warm enough. But oxygen? So this... Uh, 
story that he's pointing us to um, is uh, from the Daily Mail. A stowaway survives a two-hour flight in landing gear bay into Miami. Uh, the stowaway climbed up the front landing gear of the Airbus A321 on Saturday. He survived more than an hour at 34,000 feet inside the unpressurized area. The man was arrested after he was spotted leaving the aircraft in Miami Airport. Police detained the man, whose name wasn't released, and medics assessed him before he was sent back to the Dominican Republic. And uh, so that's one of those situations where if everything comes together just exactly right, uh, we have heard people actually survive uh, doing this kind of thing. And uh, it's not it's not the majority of people that try this. It's the minority uh, for sure. Uh, usually it has something to do with uh, the person's age. And the fact that, um, uh, as Jeff mentions, that this is in the nose gear well, um, very close to the E&E compartment where there's a substantial amount of heat that is produced from it. So that may have kept the temperatures, you know, at a, at a probably pretty darn cold, but not super freezing. And then, of course, the lower temperatures do kind of put you in a suspended animation state where your breathing levels and oxygen levels are greatly reduced, um, but uh, thirty-four thousand feet without pressurization—that's uh, that's something. Uh, that that uh, person didn't uh, didn't die. No, I mean, but many do, and uh, you know, the sad thing is that you put your gear down on the approach, and uh, uh, you know, that's it. Yeah, you know, they they fall out. Yeah, if you're unconscious uh, at that point, um, yeah, it's over because you're you're not there to you know, do whatever you're going to do to keep from falling out that hole. It's amazing to me that he didn't get crushed by the uh, gear itself. Yeah, there's there's not a lot of spare space, if any, in uh, an aircraft's nose gear bay. I'm yeah. Just, pointless putting spare space there. So, uh, yeah, you'd, you'd have to be real careful. And it must have been terrifying when that gear came up. Yeah. You can't be fat like me. There'd well, be absolutely no room. Actually, you know, you know, having a little extra, uh, you know, weight uh, might actually help <laughs> help your survival if you don't get crushed by the gear. <laughs> girth, oh. girth, oh, yes, girth. like I have as well. Yeah, really. Uh, really? Yeah, yeah, really. Yeah. You know, uh, nah, you're all. It's all. You're all solid. Um. Anyway, mine's all flat. You can always go, go around. around. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> uh, let's see, Michael and Mike. Uh, responded to the person that wrote in, let's see, what was the guy's name that uh, wrote in regarding having trouble uh, securing a loan? I'm sorry, I forgot your name. Um, but uh, and it was in episode 283. Um, I'll start with uh, Michael's response. He said, longtime listener, definitely long enough to be diagnosed with APG syndrome, but first time feedbacker. In episode 283, someone gave feedback regarding his her uh, inability to acquire a loan to attend an ATP school, and I feel like I have the answer to the question and a recommendation from experience and research. I, too, visited an APT, ATP school here in the Chicago area and considered attending ATP. I went as far as taking the discovery flight and apply for the student loan. First, in response to the quandary as to why they did not receive approval for the loan with such a high credit score, the type of loan provided solely by two financial institutions when I researched are private and unsecured, meaning no collateral or government backing. 
In nature, these loans are more difficult to acquire, especially when you're expected to have zero income and the loan amount being relatively high. In my case, for example, the amount would be around $90,000. Very expensive. This being said, I believe this may have been the situation in his case, as well as many others. As a side note, I thought that the cost was entirely too high for me personally. As an alternative, I would recommend the route I chose to be considered. I previously found a Part 141 school where I started taking flight lessons before considering ATP, so I decided to make a considerable uptick in flight lessons and take a break in work or modification in my work schedule to provide the time for more lessons. As far as financing is concerned, especially with such a high credit score, I decided to open up two new credit cards solely for extending my flight school budget. I chose credit cards as opposed to a flight school loan to have more purchase flexibility instead of only paying for the lessons. I chose airline rewards uh, credit cards as an added benefit to earn a vacation flight after so much hard work with the flight school. I used the credit cards as a way to supplement financing flight lessons, meaning I paid out of pocket, but I have the credit cards to charge lessons if I have a temporary delay in cash. The idea with this method is to not allow financing challenges to delay flight, tr flight training. You'll have to you'll have enough delays with weather, probably not as much in Tampa as in Chicago. I will say this method does require financial diligence and discipline. Either way, good luck and remember ATP is not the only option. Don't give up on flight school, just find another option. In the few months after I implemented this plan, I've reached my private pilot license checkride hours requirement and hope to take the checkride by the end of September. In hindsight, I'm happy with my outcome of not attending ATP. Instead of being about 90000 in debt, I was able to land a job comping me just north of the cost to attend ATP. Added benefit, my job is with a major airline based out of Chicago. We'll just call them Acme Drag Airlines. And he said, haha, too soon? <laughs> I think we know which one you're talking about. Um, Mike uh, also responded. I uh, said that one thing that came to mind is his current debt to income ratio. Does he have a mortgage, a car payment that already take up a sizable portion of his income? He would also have to have, add any revolving credit card uh, credit expenses to this. Is he planning on working his current full-time job while tackling full-time flight training? If he did not say that his income will remain the same during training, this could also influence a credit issuer's decision. It's not just about credit scores and history. In almost all loan decisions, the prospective lender puts a lot of weight on current and projected debt to income ratios. This is the only thing I can think of based on what he stated his credit history is. Hopefully, this can shed some light for Jonathan and help him get the money he needs for training. So, Yeah, it was Jonathan Drucker was the guy. Thank you. Um, yeah, so thank you. Our community is great. You know, people here, people have a quandary, and uh, the APG community comes together and says, okay, I think this is what is going on here, and hey, here's an idea. Try to do this. This is what I'm doing. That was excellent feedback. I mean, just uh, I, I was listening to that on the road and trying to um, – obviously, I wasn't here for that show, but I was trying to figure out what I could come up with to help him out. And that that feedback was just it's, it's fantastic because, uh, you know, it's one of the things I was thinking about was uh, the credit card option. Mm -hmm. Very expensive to do it that way, interest wise, if you if you can't afford to pay it all off at the same time, but uh, certainly gets you going in the right direction because the longer that you you spend not getting there, 
uh, certainly the money that you're losing. So mm-hmm. it's just an investment in your f- future. I mean, that's kind of one of the things I want to talk about uh, when I come back on how I got here. Uh, I was uh, I grew up in a very, very poor situation with not a whole lot of money, uh, no food on the table, no heat, no heat and no hot water. Um, and yet I'm, I'm sitting here as a, a successful airline pilot. Uh, and I was working four jobs and going to college and, and, and uh, it, it took me a long time to save up enough money and uh, get myself far enough out of debt myself to be able to complete my flying education. Once I did it, uh, it, it certainly has paid off. And you just have to find any avenue, any way, whether it be credit card, whether it be personal loan, whether it be um, uh, loans from friends or family or whatever you need to do. Because let me tell you, I have no regrets. This, this was, That was the best choice of my life. I don't know where I'd be now if, if I had stayed the course that I had been uh, going because – if you love it, if you love the, the you know aviation, if you love flying, if if it's something that's in your in your in your passion, it's in your blood, you got to find a way to do it. And anybody I talk to, that's what I tell them. So that's excellent advice that he gave uh, regarding uh, you know the, the different options and, and why possibly they they weren't allowing him to have that money. But I did the same thing. I used credit cards. I was. In debt, uh, student loans and uh, credit card debt up into my late 30s just to, to be able to get to this point that I am in life. So don't let it hold you back. Absolutely. But as he, uh, one, uh, Mike mentioned, that uh, it does take discipline, though. You have to be careful with those credit cards, right? Yeah. And, and uh, you know, you, you don't get pulled a credit card. You know, he, he did say that he wants some spending flexibility. Uh, you know, you don't open up a credit card and, and go out and buy a you know twenty five hundred dollar TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, go buy a surround sound system. Go out and buy you know dinner every night at at uh, Ruth Chris. You know, you, you know, you eat ramen noodles. You watch TV on a thirteen inch black and white TV if you have to. You go without cable. Uh, it's it's a very small sacrifice for a short amount of time, relatively speaking, compared to your line career. I mean, Jeff, you say twenty eight years. Mm-hmm. And right now, for me, it's 11 years, uh, at at least at uh, at Acme. Uh, prior to that, it's five years at a regional. So, you know, we're talking 15, 16 years for a, a matter of a couple of years. I mean, I, I in earnest, uh, uh, from 29, 28 and a half, 29 years old until about 32 is when I really made my big sacrifice. It took me three years, but uh, that's a very small price to pay for the past 16 and going forward, you know, of course, and I've got another 19, 18 years to go. So um, make 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 the sacrifice. Be smart about your money. Don't go out and, and waste it and, and apply every bit of, of, of everything you can afford um, to, to finishing up uh, your flying career because it's never been a – you, both of you guys have been around a long time. There's never been a better time in this business, I think. Never. Yep. Uh, you know, this late, I think it was the late seventies. It was a good time into the early eighties. But after that, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's been a dry spell up until now. And boy, I'll tell you what, it's, everybody's begging. So yeah, but never a better time. Absolutely. So uh, now, and that could change tomorrow. I mean, there could be some world event 
Who knows? Yeah, that's true. As we speak today, right now, on the 23rd of August, uh, 2017, never a better time. There you go. There, he's done it. He's been there. Um, He's had the experience, and that's great advice. Thank you, Dana, for chiming in on that. And with that, it looks like we've been uh, we're a little little long in the tooth now, and so it's uh, time to end the show. And as always, we point you over toward the airlinepilotguy.com website, where you can find inf- information about the show and the crew and the community, the uh, coffee fund, uh, merchandise, and more. Again, that's airlinepilotguy.com. Uh, we have a couple apps uh, for your smartphones where we send out push notifications when we're about to record a show and when shows are posted. So you can be the first one to be notified by getting your APG app on the iOS and Android platforms. We're also on social media. And Captain Nick is going to tell us about that. Uh, yeah, we're on Facebook uh, and it's Facebook forward slash Alan Pilot Guy. And we're on Twitter. Are we using the handle at uh, APG Crew? There you go. And we're also on something called Slack. And um, hang on, let me see if he's available. Hillel! Hillel, come on. It's time for you. Okay, I'll move out of the way. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan meetups and events. To get into the Slack team, please send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at HI11E1 and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel at HI11E1 and see you in Slack. Thank you, Hillel, for that. And uh, I guess with that, until next time, we're wishing you clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Take care and God bless. Goodbye, everybody. Bye-bye. Good day.
my God. Statements, views, and opinions expressed on the Airline Pilot Guy podcast may not represent the views, opinions, or policies of any airline, real or fictionalized, mentioned, implied, or accidentally slipped by any of the participants, guests, or feedback providers you may or may not have heard, may or may not believe you may have heard on this or any prior episode of the Airline Pilot Guy podcast.